morning and welcome to another episode of The Big Issue. It's good to come back way again. My name is Godfred Akotobwa for your host. Uh, as always, a big pleasure and thank you for spending your weekend with us on City 97.3 and also on City TV, Ghana and all our platforms digitally. Today one topic is on the table. There can only be one topic and it's the economy of the Republic of Ghana. This week, the city, the currency, uh, officially rated the worst performing currency globally, uh, overtaking the Sri Lankan rupee, which we all know has been in the abyss for some time now. Uh, the government also rounded up its uh, round of engagements with the IMF with a promise to reach a staff level agreement by December 2022. Looks like they are trying to expedite processes. Uh, quite a bit uh, uh, of you know meat left on the table. Uh, between those two parties to discuss what do all these things mean? What is a staff level agreement? Uh, what is in there uh, in terms of debt restructuring? What is in there in terms of these economic policies that the IMF has mentioned that need uh, to be implemented in Ghana in order to move this country ahead? And how desperate is the situation? Again, we also try and understand this on a global perspective. Because it does look like there is a global play also in this. And perhaps that is where the rescue might come from. Look at the U.S. Uh, some say the genesis of all these troubles started from the U.S. deciding uh, to fix their currency. As to how that tends to be a problem for the rest of the world, that is what we will try and also understand. We will try and understand the role of the Bank of Ghana in this, the Ministry of Finance in this, the President in this. He's been touring the country uh, it hasn't been all popular acclaim everywhere he has been. And the question people are asking is, what is the message from the president? What is the message from the finance minister? So we'll try and put all this together uh, in trying to understand the perspectives, trying to explain Ghana's economic crisis uh, and the solutions that so far we have seen, uh, the ones that are being discussed and uh, the ones that perhaps could be added. To the table. So do stay tuned to City 97.3. It's the big issue. We'll be right back. And I'd like you to answer a question for me uh, when sending me a message, a question or two, I might say. Uh, what is your understanding of this economic crisis that we are in? I know it's impacting you, but do you understand why we are where we are? Because that also helps in, in making certain decisions, in knowing what to do and how to do it and when to do it. So you can share that with me uh, via the WhatsApp lines. We're also streaming on our Facebook pages, so you can join us there, City973 and uh, City TV Ghana. Do share the live stream and also keep your comments coming in the comment section. For those of you who prefer Twitter, at City973 is the Twitter handle. The hashtag is the big issue. Uh, you can also reach me on my own Twitter handle, at East Sportsman. I'll gladly read your comments uh, once I get them. 
And if you don't miss out, uh, just check us out on our YouTube channel. Subscribe when you get the City Tube, C I T I T U B E. Uh, subscribe, most important, when you get there, and then you can catch some playback of the big issue. So let's try and uh, catch up with some of the things that have happened this week. So uh, this week we had the strike, for instance, by the Ghana uh, Union of Traders Association, now suspended because the government uh, has come to the rescue uh, so to say, with some measures uh, to help that situation. Uh, from what we are told, uh, the government has agreed to maintain forex rates at ports to aid traders. It's something we'll be looking at uh, as to whether this actually helps in the short or medium term because this is happening for the next uh, three months. Uh, the government uh, is hoping to receive uh, $3 billion dollars and an IMF extended credit facility. So we'll hear from Guta, and then uh, we will also hear from pharmacy and pharmaceutical importers, a very, very significant part of this economy that says that everybody gets sick. Most people are on certain kinds of treatment. The prices just keep changing, and it's been causing a lot of problems. In fact, we have heard some service providers say now they are definitely just doing cash and carry. They've made it public, whether you like it or not. Either you bring cash or you don't get health. So we will also hear uh, from that part. And the president has also been speaking uh, as part of his tour uh, of the Ashanti and uh, Eastern regions where he addressed calls for the finance minister to be dismissed. So we'll just hear bits and pieces of all of this uh, to put things into perspective. When we come, uh, Joe Jackson uh, is here with me, he's the director of business operations for DLX Finance. We'll also be joined by uh, Dr. John Osai Kwapong. He's a fellow at CDD Ghana, Franklin Kujo, president of Imani Africa. Uh, Professor Atapepa, who's the dean of the School of Economics at the University of Cape Coast, uh, very, very sound man on monetary policy, uh, will join us as well. Dr. Kwame Sapong Esiedu. Uh, also from the CDD. So these are my guests uh, for the big issue. So let's hear f- well, what, how the week started with Guta, uh, the announcement by the government to peg the dollar rate to the interbank rate at the ports uh, for traders over the next three months to see if this will help slow down the increasing uh, price increases that we've seen. And then the president saying he has no need uh, to uh, remove his finance minister. Please be mindful that you have to benchmark your pricing with the flying dollar. Otherwise, you lose off your capital. You have to benchmark. You take your time and look at the rate it is going in. And always revise your prices according to the rate of change. Otherwise, you are going to lose all your capital. It is scary. Please, don't just trade. Be wise. Be wise. And do your calculations well. Otherwise, all your capital will be consumed by this unfortunate situation that we find ourselves. Thank you very much. You've done very well. And you've made your statement very clear. The whole world have listened to your plight. And we know how it may come. We know that our effort will never be in vain. You've done well. I'm proud of you. Please go and open your shops. And be mindful of the effects of this foreign exchange, be conscious. 
as I talk to you now, uh, Bank of Ghana and the Ministry of Finance have agreed on a rate. And that rate, we're not just going to peg, we're going to also knock it down. We're going to, we're going to keep it in the next three months. Is it for only the traders? For, tra for, the, for the traders, okay. for now. I mean, so that they'll be able to undertake their customs activities well. I'm talking about okay. payment of duties and stuff like that. Okay. I mean, so this are some of the things we are doing, and they are aware of it just about three days ago. So if government is making concessions, it is very imperative for 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 Guta and the, those other associations to also reciprocate in a, in a very good form, not this way. I mean, when we met them, these other things they are talking about didn't come up during the discussions. Critically, we discussed three issues, and these issues were resolved by government at the meeting. And we promise that we're going to take effect from this week. As we all know, health is wealth. They cannot afford the resulting high cost of medicine. On the industry front, interest in continuous investment in official approval financial business is waning. Very soon, a sizable number of industry players may be fold to fold up or lay off staff. This becomes a dangerous recipe for criminals to engage in their nefarious activities and flood the market with fake and substandard products, which eventually tends to compromise quality and efficacy of medicine, thereby putting the health of all Ghanaians at risk. The National Chamber of Pharmacy, the Pharmaceutical Manufacturers Association of Ghana, and Pharmaceutical Importers and Wholesalers Association of Ghana, therefore call for an immediate action to save the industry. All transactions with immediate effect shall be on cash basis until the economy stabilizes. I want to repeat. No credit policy for all buyers in the industry. All transactions with immediate effect shall be on cash basis until the economy stabilizes. The NHIS and all private health insurance companies are encouraged to give accredited facilities, seed funds to buy medicines on cash for supplies to patients under the schemes. All end-user institutions, thus retail pharmacies, private hospitals and clinics, are encouraged to secure loans from banks to buy medicines on cash. The president, during his second day tour of the Ashanti region, first granted an interview on Kumasi-based Otek FM, where he justified one government had to resort to the International Monetary Fund. Even though big efforts are being made to change the structure of our economy, we're still very much an import-driven economy. It's unfortunate, but that is the reality that we're dealing with in, in Ghana. All these factors, where these huge increases in prices, freight rates, fertilizer price, commodity prices, you're talking about three, four, five percent, uh, five time increases in certain essential uh, 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 materials in the world. Obviously, it's going to have a major impact on your balance of payments, your budget, your ability to finance your budget. And these are the difficulties in which our economy has gone into. So, we took, it took us some time. Some of my ministers are here. They can confirm to you. We had a series of discussions about it and decided that we have no option but 
to cash in on our membership of this fund, to see what the fund can do to help us in the short run overcome some of these problems. He also explained why he maintained Finance Minister Kenofriata and other ministers. We were under an IMF program right until 2019. But this man was able to organize the management of our economy in such a way that not only were we able to roll out all these programs in that first year and subsequent years, but our economy's growth was spectacular. Somebody who has been able to do that, why would I say that? How do I do that? How do I do that? What would be the basis? What is the rationale? So that was uh, the president in his interview in the Ashanti region explaining why uh, he sees no need to ask the finance minister, uh, Kendo Ferreira, who has, uh, I think, comp- uh, returned to Ghana from the U.S. Washington, where he was been he has been engaging the IMF. But I said, let's come in studio and try and get to the bottom of this uh, from the start. You know, from the top. Uh, so, Mr. Jackson, Director of Business Operations in Lex Finance, good morning. Welcome to the Good morning, good to see you. Yes, it's been a while. Yes. Uh, good to be on, your, on the platform. As always, but it, it must be hard for you at the moment. You you handle people's money all the time, and uh, the side of your business really must be struggling. Well, it, it, you know, the, the most difficult parts come when. Somebody picks a call and, and, and calls you. Says, Joe, what's happening? The CD. Should I just cash out all my money and go and buy a dollar? Should I? And they would then ask you, uh, my money that is in, uh, is invested, does it mean that any money invested will get a haircut, not just treasury? But there's so much confusion around. Mm. And the calls come, some of them... Remember that there's a lot of misinformation going around, especially yes. on WhatsApp. Oh, interesting. So apart from the reality, when you go to, when you, you, you see a Forex below, say it's 15 to 1, there's also a lot of misinformation around, especially around the domestic debt restructuring, the proposed domestic debt restructuring program. And so uh, it's been a time when everybody is uncertain. Let me, let me uh, I, I will touch base with Dr. Jonasai Kwapong and uh, Professor Tapepra and Dr. Kwame Saponsidu, but I'll start with you from where you've, you, you, you've just touched and trying to make sense of this. There are those who have said, we've heard the mantra, COVID, Russia, Ukraine, responsible for this. The economy was fine before this. But another leg that has come up has been the U.S. side, which is a side you'll be familiar with, and what happened with the dollar, because that is what seems to be at the heart of this, the currency known as the dollar, and the Fed's decision to hike interest rates, and basically investors all moving towards that currency uh, at a time, to the, one would say, disadvantage of economies like ours. Is that a something you subscribe to. Okay, now, let's put this in context, right? Okay. Ukraine has had an effect on this economy. Mm -hmm. 
COVID has had an effect on this economy. Mm -hmm. The strengthening of the dollar because the Fed hiked interest rates has had an effect on the CB dollar rate. Mm. That nobody should dispute. Mm. It, it's, and, 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 and there are effects are significant. The reason why we are in what I call this perfect storm, this crisis, is because we ourselves were this close to the abyss. Prior to all this. Prior to all this, we were, we were at the point. Remember, it's not, for the last few years, we've been crying out, we have borrowed too much money. Ghana is broke. Ghana is broke has become a mantra that I've repeated mm. on even on this platform how many times? Mm. But the interest, but the percentages uh, that were so what, the interest what? looked attractive at the time until yes, but the dollar got strong. Yes, until the dollar got strong. But there's something else that happened coincided with the dollar getting strong. We got downgraded. Mm. You understand? You got downgraded by the rating agencies. So the dollar got strong. That in effect. That in itself would have had an effect on us because those who had brought in to buy dollar would now start moving out. But then at the same time, we got downgraded. And so we had twice the effect, three times the effect. You understand where mm. we're coming from? You are already, the warning signs have been there. You're not generating enough revenue to service your debts. You're not generating enough revenue to service your debts. Remember that even at the uh, 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 budget issued in, uh, in November, December, November last year, mm. and reviewed this year, we, we could see clearly that we're spending over 100, we're expected to spend over 100% of our debt, right? In two line items, salaries and interest payments. Interest payments. Even at that time, we didn't draw back from the abyss. We didn't declare austerity. We didn't declare a serious cut in government spending. We still continued as if we could go on borrowing. Then, of course, the U.S. are acting in their interest. Mm. Then we got downgraded. So. There was the 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 city and Ghana became toxic, and remember that the first action in the depreciation of the city was when after we got dep uh, after we got downgraded, and foreign holders dumped the city for dollar to move out because the dollar had gotten stronger. The dollar had gotten stronger, and Ghana had been downgraded. Had we stayed where we were, the dumping would not have been as bad as it happened then. Okay. You've got to understand that because the economists put it in a nice way, there's no fiscal room, there's no room for maneuver, which means, the, 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 literally means that any external in, uh, event will tip us over into the abyss. What were the external events? Of course, first there was COVID, mm -hmm. then there was Ukraine, mm -hmm. then there was the downgrade, mm -hmm. which was I don't know whether you can call the downgrade an external event because it was caused by ourselves. Mm 
by not keeping an eye on the ball, by not strengthening uh, our revenue collection, some of the things that GRA is doing now to get more revenue, it should have done last year before we got into trouble. Some of the expenditure cuts that we may, we are even now attempting, even though we say they are not enough, should have been done last year. It's almost as if, you know, the, the Bible in James see, says, You fool, who says tomorrow will be as good as today? And I'm paraphrasing. Mm. It's almost as if we thought life would just continue as it did, and it never does. But was there not? And, and here I know it's a hard thing to do, but if you were the finance minister at that time, w w did you not see any signs of okay, my strategy will pay off, and so let me keep with this? Surely. He, he, he would have been aware of where we were going. What would make him stay that track? Listen, why is it that some of us have been screaming and shouting that we are in the, on the wrong path for ages? It's politics. Cutting expenditure means pain. Austerity programs means pain. And the politics, the partisan politics of the day meant that no, but there was no will to do that until we were now staring disaster in the face. Mm. Didn't I see on this platform last year that which you heard for the IMF? Mm -hmm. You did. Repeatedly? Mm. Why didn't we go to that? It was, it was because partisan politics and eating your own words. And yet, haven't we made things so much worse before we are now going to the IMF? Can you imagine if we had gone to the IMF last year? Would we, would we be at 15 to 1 to, this, to the dollar? No. We have had a lot more stability. It is the partisan nature of our politics that doesn't give us the will. Listen, the things needed to fix Ghana's economy are not rocket science. We know them. Hmm. It is the will to fix that does not exist or did not exist till now. Mm. The only reason why I have hope that now things will be fixed is that now we are staring disaster in the face. And you think that is... Well, you see it as disaster, but the interpretation on the other side might be different. They might not see it as disaster. In fact, the uh, communication uh, uh, has uh, uh, not been that of this abyss that you describe the communication there has been one of we are engaging and we've, we've been, you, you heard uh, I don't know how good your chi or this, but you heard the president oh, my, he said, my, my is excellent, don't the, worry. The, we were growing, things have been working so we will get things back in shape uh, unfortunately I consider that political talk playing to it's, it's, it's like at this time, talk at a rally uh, unfortunately that's how I look at it how can you say things are okay when your interest rates have hit the level they have and when you still continue to increase in interest rates? How can you say things are okay when your inflation has hit the level it has hit? How can you say things are okay when your dollar, your CD dollar has hit the rate it has reached? How can you say okay 
when you have declared willy-nilly that you won't be able to pay your domestic debt and that we should be we, we should be you appointed a committee to help negotiate a haircut. Uh, this this is not uh, 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 something that is hidden. Everything I've told you today is easily verified. Mm. So why are we still? Why can we say things are, 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 are okay? They're not. Let me ask you this before I, I, I move to talk to Professor Tapepa from the. School of Economics, University of Cape Coast, in describing this, because I started this on the premise of the strengthening of the U.S. dollar and its impact on all things, including oil and basically crude, which we need dollars to buy and which perhaps has been more responsible for our woes than most things. If you were allaying percentages for this, self-inflicted, covid Ukraine, Russia, and U.S. interest rate hikes. What percentages are you giving? Okay. So you have four ideas. And I'm looking at the depth of the crisis we have today. Yes. Self-inflicted. Maybe 70%. That's a lot. Yes. Ukraine, 10%. Hmm. Um, maybe I'll draw back a little considering on but self-inflicted at least 60% let me ask you this too so and and then share the balance amongst the rest yes let me ask you this if we've had conversation of the US government looking to take a look at the currency again based on its impact if they were to act in dealing with their interest rates how much of an impact would it have on us in terms of, okay, let's slow things down a bit because the stronger the dollar gets, everybody else is dying. Mm-hmm. At this moment, you don't think it's something they will look at? No. Even if they did that, it won't be yeah, too toxic for it to have a, 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 a serious effect. Mm. Remember what I said to you earlier on, that you got downgraded and that coincided with the strengthening of the dollar, and which was the hike in uh, interest, uh, U.S. Treasuries or U.S. interest rates. That just right now we are toxic. You've you've you've, you've crossed the Rubicon already. Even if rates returned, U.S. rates returned to what they were before. Everybody knows that we are about to default. Hmm. Everybody knows that if we don't do an IMF deal, we will default. Hmm, interesting. At this moment, we are toxic. Okay, so you might not, you don't think it will have too much of an error. Hold on, I will, I will get back to you. Let me talk to Professor Tapepa. Professor Tapepa, good morning. Professor, please unmute your microphone if you can hear me. Yeah, good morning. Yes, thank you very much, uh, Prof, for joining us on City 97.3. Prof is the Dean of the School of Economics, University of Cape Coast. And I want to deal with you a bit on uh, matters of monetary policy. The finance ministry deals with the fiscal side. 
I want to look at the BOG um, because a lot of people have pointed fingers at the finance ministry. But we also saw the BOG come out to defend its position after criticism, I think from, either from the IMF or the World Bank, from the World Bank, uh, who said perhaps if they had moved a bit quickly with their own interest rate hikes, perhaps we would not be in the situation we find ourselves. From where you sit, looking at the Bank of Ghana's monetary side handling of our situation the past year or so, what have been your observations? And uh, ha- yes, what have been your observations? Let's start from there. Thank you. Let me say good morning to listeners and viewers. Um, let me start by saying that since 2002, you know, between 2002 to 2022, uh, the highest monetary policy rate has been in March and May 2002. So in March, between March and May 2002, uh, the BOG, you know, fixed one of the highest monetary policy rates at close to what we are witnessing today. That was somewhere around 27.5%. The lowest of the NPR monetary policy rate was in August 2007, October 2011, and then December 2011. That was around 12.5%. As we speak, as of September 2022 to October 6, 2022, the rate is hovering around 24.5%. Now, let me remind listeners and viewers that Ghana has been implementing what we call the inflation targeting policy, where a band is set 8% plus or minus 2%. The objective of this policy is to, you know, stabilize prices. Remember, that is the core mandate of the Central Bank of Ghana, so that we may have some impact, impact on pricing, impact on prices, and that will translate into output. There is a condition. Assuming that the financial system is efficient, then when Bank of Ghana sets up this monetary policy rate, it will translate into stabilizing prices and then increasing output. Again, the objective is to combat inflation. Combat inflation. So anytime BOGs revises the monetary policy rate, it translates into lending rates it translates into inflation rates. As the monetary policy rate goes up, interest rate, lending rate also goes up. So as we see now, currently the situation that we find ourselves in is that fixing monetary policy rate at 24.5% has implications for lending. I mean, most commercial banks are doing around 30%. 30%. You know, some are 25, 26, 27, 28, 30%, or even more. And these have 
serious implications for the economy. You can't blame the central bank for setting up these uh, 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 rate because it is in the bid to reduce inflation. Unfortunately, it is not working well as expected. Currently, uh, our year on inflation as of September 2022 around 37.2%. And food inflation alone it's about 37.8%. Non-food inflation is 36.8%. Inflation in Ghana as of now, Eastern region records the highest of 47.1%, with the lowest being recorded in the Upper West region of 22.9%. So the question is, why is the monetary policy instrument not being effective. BOG is trying to reduce inflation by introducing, you know, revising the NPR. Yet, inflation is currently getting out of hand. I mean, the figures that I've mentioned maybe mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. just the, I don't know, but are just the theoretical figures. But maybe in practice, maybe in practice, these figures may be higher. They be on the higher side. It means a lot for Ghanaians. What, what, what has been the difficulty uh, for the Bank of Ghana? You talk about, well, they've put the numbers there, but I'm saying the criticism has been perhaps the timing. Have they always gotten the timing right with the circumstances that we are in, perhaps, which is why the inflation seems to be ahead of them and they are chasing it? Yes. Many people have been talking about the fact that this is a global phenomenon. So in times like this, that is the only prudent measure that BOG may have to adopt. They have the mandate. It's a global phenomenon, Russia, Ukraine, war. And we 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 didn't recover from COVID. And then Russia, Ukraine, war came. So I don't think the timing is wrong. I don't think the timing is wrong. In such circumstances, BOG is mandated to do that. In terms of timing, I don't see it as wrong. Mm. What other options are available to them in this period that we are in? That's a difficult question to answer. (laughs) If if you were offering free (laughs) advice to the BOG. (laughs) You see... Monetary policy works hand in hand with fiscal policy. Mm-hmm. So we cannot only give an advice to the governor. Yes, but also the finance minister. Finance was to go to the yeah, the finance minister. You see, it's like uh, monetary policy is like there's water on a slippery floor, and then Bank of Ghana is holding the mop, mop the excess water on the slipping floor so that people don't fall. And then finance minister or of finance is holding a bucket of water, putting more water on the floor. So the more DOG mops, the more uh, finance ministry also 
puts water on the floor. So it becomes a difficult task for BOJ to mop the floor. So that is the practical example mm. that I can illustrate. So, yeah. So, so if, I, if I understand what you're saying, from your observation, BOJ is mopping, but the leak from the so finance ministry side so, so, yeah. is a massive respite. Supposedly, supposedly. So that is, that, that is my practical orientation. There with the people from Ghana. I'm not saying that that is what is happening, mm. but I'm giving you a scenario that if monetary policy should be effective, it needs the support to work hand in hand. Mm. So if is mopping the floor and the finance minister is putting more water on the slippery floor, then it will be very difficult for us to combat the situation that we find ourselves in. So we need fiscal discipline. Fiscal discipline. Can, can we cut down expenditure? We, we already cut down expenditure. What else should we cut? Both. <laughs> the government says they've cut by 30%. What else are we cutting? In fact, I have not done any research, empirical research to come out with the, the magnitude that should be cut down, but at least can we share? Can we tell them to be physical display? You know, let's reduce the expenditures. There are a lot of expenditures that are unnecessary in the system. So we humbly submit that it is possible. Let's reduce the expenditure. Uh, recurrent expenditure. Some expenditures we cannot run away from it. For example, debt payment, interest interest on debt payments, you know, we cannot, but some are avoidable. Some expenses are avoidable. Mm. Yeah, we can. I don't mm. want to sound, I'm not a politician, so I don't want to go into uh, some issues. But all that I'm saying is that I think they understand the language I'm putting across. Mm. Let's do our possible best to reduce the level of expenditure and the mm. purpose of a, a lot has been made about the country's significant debt portfolio and uh, it seems to be at the heart of some of its problems. Again, your thoughts on the borrowing strategy that we've witnessed the past three or four years. Um, your thoughts, yes. Thank you very much. Um, you see, in basic macroeconomics, you know, uh, we talk about a principle that we normally, I think every economist knows, crowding out effect. Crowding out effect. Government is, if government begins to borrow aggressively, it crowds out private sector investment. Because how does government borrow? Government borrows by revising the NPL, which translates into, you know, high treasury bill rates which motivate people to purchase T-bills. So banks don't get enough even to lend to a private sector. If I have funds, I would prefer putting my money into safe heaven. Treasury bill where government is free with high interest rate or high yield. So to say, I'll go for that. Again, you would, I mean, excessive borrowing for the domestic market you know, creates a chunk of 
of performing loans on banks' balance sheet. And that may collapse banks. Government is maybe owing contractors huge sums of money, crippling the activities of contractors. And they can't deliver. They can't deliver. So domestic borrowing is one thing that government should look at it to reduce it. Cut down domestic borrowing so that the money in the banking system may be lent out to the private sector to prepare economic growth. Mm. Thank you very much, Professor Atapipa. I'll come back to you in a bit. Uh, you heard the Dean of the School of Economics, University of Cape Coast. Uh, Franklin, could you also with us? This is Dr. John Osai Kwapong, uh, fellow at the CDD, and Dr. Kwame Sapong. Let me talk to Dr. John Osai Kwapong, and then I will talk to Franklin. Dr. Osai Kwapong, morning. Good morning. How are you? I am well. Joining us. Uh, I will start with the same question, because you're also U.S.-based, so let me start with you on the same tangent I started with uh, Joe Jackson. I'm, I'm, I'm also pushing the same question to you in terms of where to lay the blame if in sharing the percentages. Joe says largely he's giving conservatively between 60 and 70% to self-inflicted uh, and he shared the rest amongst the U.S. tightening of uh, its interest rates or hiking of its interest rates. Uh, covid that led to significant borrowing by the government to deal with the issues according to them. And then the Russia-Ukraine war, which has upset the balance of trade as well. Where do you stand on those? So, you know, it's, it's very hard to assign particular weights to each, all of, these, uh, to each of these factors, right? Mm. Um, they all have in some way contributed uh, to getting us where we are. I think for me, uh, so I went back to look at uh, the 2020 uh, macroeconomic framework that uh, we that was announced in the 2019 budget and the sort of projections that government was making uh, in terms of what we were expected to see in 2020. And then in the mid-year budget review in 2020, once COVID was raging, um, those numbers were uh, those numbers were revised. So, for example, um, agric, you know, growth in the agric sector was revised downwards from 5.1 to 3.7. Industry all the way from 8.6 to 0.8. Services from 5.8 to negative 0.8, and then the overall from 6.8. Uh, to 0 0.7. So there is an element of um, COVID having contributed uh, to that in the sense of, I mean, if you talk of an economy uh, that plummets from a 6.8 to a 0 0.7 growth, you can, if you translate that into real dollars and cents or into real CDs, you can see how much of an effect that is having on an everyday economy and the linkages to other uh, uh, parts of the economy. So there's there's some aspect to that. But if you also look at the, the, the projections post that, there was quite a high level of optimism that said um, by the end of 2021, growth would have uh, recovered to about 5.6 in, you know, in 2021, in 2022, 
to 6.9. So there was a sense of optimism from uh, from the finance ministry that we may have taken a hit during that raging COVID period in 2020, but all other things being equal, by 2021, 2022, we should see growth rebounding and things getting uh, back, uh, back on track. The other thing, too, is that in, you know, in the midst of COVID, um, we still at least got some uh, some support, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at some of the facilities we got from IMF, the World Bank, uh, some of the local uh, fundraising efforts that we were engaged in, there, there, there was also some, you know, injection into the economy to at least help insulate us against the ravaging effects uh, of, of COVID. So you then also then ask yourself that, what is it about the foundation of the economy that got shaking so much that even with some of these injections that we were not able to rebound as fast as we had projected in in, in, in that. So assigning the weights, you know, it's, it's, it's tricky business, but all of those things, the strengthening of the U.S. dollar, the hiking of interest rates uh, in the U.S. and, you know, the implication for emerging market economies like that of Ghana has, have all fueled the current situation that you find we find ourselves in. Mm. But fundamentally, you know, how strong were the foundations prior to some of these things hitting us? The, the, numbers, think, the numbers look pretty solid, did they not? Yes, they did. And like I said, if you if you look at the growth figures in nineteen in eight seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, then you say to yourself, then even with uh, these headwinds of COVID coming in in twenty twenty and you know, shaking things so much that but we also had confidence that look by twenty twenty one things should get back on track. Um, and then, of course, there's the Russia-Ukraine war where, um, I, 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 from what the explanations that are giving, the disruptions to this global supply chains, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I think that between the external factors and how much that contributed to our challenges and the internal factors, for me, the bottom line is there needs to be, um, you know, like an honest self-appraisal to figure out exactly what is it that prevented us from um, making the kind of recovery, the full recovery that we were uh, we were expecting. Because I think for me, how you diagnose the problem would inform the sort of solutions that uh, that you chase. So that for me is one uh, one one part of the dilemma that we we sort of need to figure out exactly. Because if we keep insisting that it is all externally driven, then it would put us in a position where we would be thinking differently about the solutions to it, right? Because of how you diagnose the problem. Mm-hmm. But if we also look internally to see whether some of our um, policy choices, our fiscal policy choices, our public policy choices may have also weakened our hand a little bit to push back against these strong winds, then that is also going to inform some of the policy tools that we would say to ourselves, okay, on the domestic side at home, 
these are some of the things that we need to do to uh, to, to to get us uh, to get us back. So that for me is, you know, my initial thoughts on where we are and some of the things that pushed us into the current situation in which we find ourselves. Okay, I I, I will. I want to start with everybody on the clean slate when we return in the next hour on the solutions that we are trying to track uh, with the IMF and all. So we'll get to that. Franklin, I also want to hear your thoughts. Well, good morning, my good friends. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so a lot has been said, really, and I, and I yield to the rather uh, erudite explanations given by the two uh, professors. Um, I must say, though, that the... the there's, there's, there's a lot that uh, ought to be considered um, when the, 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 the I mean discussing where, where we are right now and they've done a human job at that but I look at exactly what the present situation presents us with, especially when we just oppose the economic numbers with, the, with other African countries that have been equally impacted and, uh, and all I see is that um, we keep going back to these issues about policy, public policy making. I mean, the soundness of our public policies uh, is a matter that is as grave as, as, as it comes. And uh, unfortunately, we haven't done much in that department. If you think, for instance, that the planting for food and jobs was said to be one of the, if not the best, that has ever happened to us, and after just three weeks of a lockdown, uh, we were com- in complete disarray, you know. And, and 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 a lot has happened since then, and we still haven't recovered from that uh, rather stellar performance, which makes it quite difficult to then ascertain some of these numbers that we normally uh, record or should I say um, re- report. Uh, it's, it's, it's a very difficult path to travel because, again, scientists like uh, my good friend uh, John will tell you that, well, I mean, data speaks and, 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 I mean, data must be respected, you know. And so when data has been presented, who are you to question? But I go back and say that in spite of the data, there's fundamentally uh, what is wrong with the economy is that a lot of the policies that are, strewn together in order to get us out of our quagmire unfortunately have no legs and, 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 they, and they wobble immediately there's a sight of some storm and so that is what has actually uh, really really happened and, and, and to think that um, the fiscal side itself has also not lent itself to any deep should I say uh, introspection in terms of getting us out of the current hole it's quite unfortunate. I mean, we established a fiscal council, and, and not once was there a report showing or telling us what they've done in terms of reviews of government projects, pro- pro- programs, and policies. Not because they couldn't do that, but simply because they've not been empowered to do so, right? So as we hear that the fiscal side of things typically is what leads to the kinds of situations we find ourselves in, whereas the monetary side is trying to rein in all the, 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 the excesses. Uh, unfortunately, the fiscal policy-making environment has become too toxic. As we speak, even though we are still in the hole, I can bet you there are procurement gigs still going on, 
right? Uh, there's a lot of the financial arrangements that are not necessarily going to the government, so give me, uh, should I say, the management information system that are supposed to, that is supposed to record these transactions, right? Uh-huh. About 30, 30 to 34 percent of the public financial management models or tools that we we ourselves enacted and benchmark that we're going to achieve have have, have just have, have not been have. I mean, only 34, about 34% have been achieved. These things will cure themselves. I'm sorry, it, it really wouldn't. So, um, so son as if we are a broken, son as if it's a broken record talking about this matters. But essentially, I lean towards uh, Jackson's 60% percentage. Uh, a, a mark of being self-inflicted, and 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 I'm sure that when the numbers are, should I say, reviewed finally, my good friend John, who believes in data, would get towards <laughs> that particular <laughs> mark. All right, thank you, Franklin. We'll take a break. Uh, on the big issue, do keep your messages coming through: zero five four nine nine eight six nine nine six zero five five zero five eight five eight three two. And then when we return, we will deal with uh, some of the measures being put in place, the engagement with the IMF. The Ministry of Finance have issued a, a statement. Some say it says something. Some say it doesn't say anything. But we'll try and break it down as well as the steps that we are in and what it will mean uh, if we are able to get some money before the year ends or we are unable to get some money in before the end of the year. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the big issue on CCTV uh, and then also on City 97.3. My name is Goffrey Takotobuafo, trying to understand our current economic situation, the current CD depreciation this week rated the worst performing currency in the world. Uh, also this week, uh, finally got some feedback from our engagements with the IMF. What did they say? We're trying to understand. That's what we are trying to understand this morning on the big issue. I'm also trying to uh, understand some of the things we've been told, you know, of the global factors that have affected us. Uh, were they solely responsible? Were the actions of the, or certain decisions or uh, inactions of the government responsible for this? Uh, at the moment, we are hearing about speculators uh, making a run on the economy. We'll try and understand all those things before the show ends today. And then also uh, delve into this finance ministry statement and what the IMF is looking for us to do. And also some of the short-term measures. For instance, Guta went on uh, a shop-closing exercise this week. They, finally, they suspended it after the government agreed to maintain forex rates at ports to aid traders. Does that affect how does that affect prices uh will prices drop will they remain constant we'll try and make sense of that so let me come back to joe uh and don't forget once we get to the medical side of this we'll also be hearing from dr kwame sapon uh who deals with the health side of things at the cdd uh to discuss what is happening there because there's a big issue there as well so joe i'm back to you now and we are before we we look at what we are doing to try and halt the spiral, if indeed we are halting the spiral, because it doesn't look like we are. Every week is one city more uh, to 
where we used to pay for something. We've heard mention of do not speak about the currency. Uh, the more you talk about it, the worse it becomes. Speculators are playing a role in where we find the currency. Can you explain what is happening with that? Is that a legitimate concern? <laughs> okay. <What>? Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not <laughs> Okay. How can you mm -hmm. see this currency decline the way it has and say we should not talk about it? But you've heard it. You've heard them say don't talk about it. Yes, it affects. But, but, that, but, but, it, it actually plays a role in but, making but, it but, worse. But, but that's a ridiculous argument. A host no merit? Yes. You see, remember, we, earlier in this program, we discussed about our downgrade, mm. the uh, 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 CD becoming toxic, mm -hmm. the dumping of, of the foreign holders dumping the CD for, uh, uh, what do you call it? For dollars. For dollars exiting their uh, investments in government uh, bonds, etc. Inflation hitting us. You know what has happened is that literally as a country, we have lost, the CD has lost its role as a store of value. Mm. Think about it. If I had 600 CDs at the beginning of the year, it was, and I was holding it in the bank, it was $100. Today, 600 CDs is $40, 15 to 1, from 6 to 1 to 15 to 1. It just tells me that I cannot, and, and in a country where we import everything, it means that 60% of my, 60% uh, 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 of my purchasing power has been eroded. Will I continue to store my money in CDs if I can, if I have a way out? So all that's happening is that People are dumping their CD positions and trying to get into dollar positions. And because there are no dollars to buy, right? Because we haven't suddenly increased the number of dollars we, we, we have in this country. Mm. If anything, it is getting worse because nobody, everybody wants to hold on to what he has. So now the situation is everybody wants to jump into dollars. There are no dollars. A simple... Economics 101, supply and what? Demand. Demand. So the, 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 the few dollars that are available are going to the highest bidders at higher and higher rates. That's why you see us in this spiral. Oh, okay. Okay. But yesterday we were told there's some uh, $790 million from the Cocos, Cocoa Board uh, syndicated loan that, that is, will come. That is coming. The, the challenge, how, how, how would that help? The challenge you have is that with the current mindset where everybody wants to jump out of CD positions into dollar positions, how long would that last? Mm. How long would that last? So it's just temporary relief. 
it will be temporary, you see, it will be temporary relief up until the point where we see that there is a significant movement to restore stability. That significant movement will occur possibly when we get the uh, 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 IMF deal done or when the government shows clearly that it is going to reverse its mindset and cut expenditure in a significant way. That's when you're going to see stability. Okay. And what? And 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 and, and well. I, so I, speculators, I, I, it's not their fault. It's okay. not. It's not about speculating now. The people who are rushing into uh, dollar positions are real people with pensions that are scared that their pensions are being eroded. They are real people who see the, the fall of the, uh, 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 of the city. They see prices rising and they see each day what's happening and are scared. Why, what, why do you think there are speculators in this business? Okay, so thank you for that clarification. Now, the second one is something the Bank of Ghana had intimated they would do. I don't know if you followed up on it. Um, this strategy to purchase gold um, that was announced by the BOG in order to shore up the strength of the city. Unfortunately, gold has been struggling at the markets uh, for those who pay attention for the past two weeks yeah. or so. So gold not really doing well. That's also not helping? Not really. Not really. And the experience of other countries, uh, and, and Zimbabwe comes to mind, of, of buying gold as a way of showing up the foreign reserves. Mm -hmm. And the more reserves you are deemed to have, the better it is for your currency. Yes. Right? Not, it has mixed reviews. Okay. It has mixed reviews. And really, the biggest issue now is the fact that the city has depreciated consistently since February. Mm. That nobody wants to hold the city anymore. Literally, it's, it's toxic. It's caught fire. Now, the question is how to let it stop. Yes. Which is what the... Minister of Finance is trying to do because for this to stop, outside of they getting money, it doesn't look like there's any other way to let this stop. So they've been trying to get money and they've given us a breakdown, some information about their engagements with the IMF. So it's a press release uh, dated 21st October. I'll quickly go through it, uh, the points, uh, and it says that point one. Uh, the annual meetings concluded successfully with a renewed sense of urgency for countries to rally together to bolster the global economy in light of the dim outlook for advanced and frontier markets alike. Two, the delegation also had several positive and encouraging engagements with the World Bank, bilateral partners, U.S. state officials, and external investors. Three, several meetings were held between the government of Ghana and the IMF, advancing negotiations towards a fund-supported program. Four, a clear path towards the final details of a program has been agreed upon by both parties with the goal of reaching a staff-level agreement by the end of the year. Five, a pathway towards fiscal sustainability has also been extensively discussed and the government of Ghana and the IMF remain fully committed to the goal of reaching a staff-level agreement on a program within the shortest possible time. 
And then six, with this objective in mind, negotiations will continue with the IMF mission team expected in Accra in the next few weeks. And the government goes on to thank uh, the IMF, the World Bank, and their partners, and the ministry undertakes to continue to provide regular updates and further details of our economic program to the public immediately they become available. So there have been calls for... So your, job, your task is two things, uh, Joe. There have been calls for, one, the president to speak or the finance minister to speak on this matter. Uh, we have a press release, and they say they'll continue updating us. I guess that should suffice. And then when you look at the press release in front of you, I guess the time frame is what matters most to us. Uh, outside of that, what information do you get from this? <laughs> well, I, I get uh, one that is clear is the repeated mention of a staff level mm. agreement by the end of the, the year. By the end of the year, that sets you a timeline. So the program itself will not be signed by the end of the year, like it was mm. initially intimated. But this really just sells, just says we are engaging. It doesn't do much for us. And goodwill. Well, at this moment, what do you want to see? Until an agreement is signed, we can only be engaging. And it has not been disputed. Remember that <clears throat> in other scenarios, whilst engaging, the IMF, for example, has come out at some point to say, I've suspended negotiations because we are not getting anywhere. Mm -hmm. So as far as this hasn't happened, and they say they are engaging and there's goodwill, we have to believe that and, and believe that the deadline of the end of the year of having a staff-level agreement, which now will go to the board for approval, is still on track. That's fine. But, you see, the man in the street, you and I, there are a number of things that worry them. Mm. It's not the IMF engagement per se. Their problems lie with the CD, what is happening. What is happening to the cost of drugs? Inflation. What is happening to fuel? Right? Those are things that the man in the street faces. And as much as this is as best as we can expect at this moment, those issues have not been addressed. Who has addressed the, the issues that press us in their way? Maybe the governor has said one or two things. But from the Ministry of Finance, from the political leadership, this press statement does not make any difference to the uh, uh, man in the street. So I do understand when somebody says, can the President or the Minister of Finance come and tell us what is happening to us? Why the city is going this way? Why inflation is just rising and rising? Why uh, things are so tough that uh, traders want to shut up? Why is it that uh, uh, the uh, uh, pharmacy says we won't accept uh, 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 Ghana Health Insurance, we won't accept even private insurance? Those are the things that concern us. And nobody has addressed this in a certain way. So I, I do understand and I do, uh, and I appreciate and I align myself with that. Maybe it's time for someone senior in government to address these concerns because they are pressing. But somebody will say, well, 
What would that do? Would that halt the slide? No, what that's, it do? no, it doesn't mean it to halt the slide. Uh, when you are, when I'm father of a family, when things are going bad, I speak to them. I tell them, I may even say, I can't do anything. I may even say things will get worse before they get better. I, I will, but you, you have to offer an understanding. You have to offer empathy. You have to offer a, 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 a hope. So uh, 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 the fact that nothing will change doesn't mean you should engage. You should not engage. Uh, sorry, nothing. Uh, listen, uh, uh, I, I work in Dalex Finance. Mm -hmm. I have over 3,000 agents all over the country. Mm. These are turbulent times. I was in Kufroida yesterday to engage with uh, my agents in the uh, Eastern region and the Volta region. And we talked. They express views, what is happening, explain things. I engage not because I have a solution. Do you think I went to a gig because I could tell them that the CD will, will, will stop declining on this date or this date? I don't. But as leaders, we have a duty to engage. Hmm. We have a duty to offer hope. We have to inspire. And you're not getting that at the moment. Let, me, really. let me bring in Professor Tapepra. Uh, as we discuss solutions. Prof, so we've heard from the Minister of Finance who are engaging uh, the IMF. Um, it, from your end, does it look like bar this IMF bailout one way or the other? There's nothing else that can be done. Until, the, until IMF comes in, we are just waiting. Thank you very much. IMF has always been the solution in times like this. It is like when you are uh, diabetic. Consider a diabetic patient who has to inject insulin every morning. After the insulin has lost its potency or finished working, the sugar level rises up. So, the $2 billion that uh, ECF that we are going for is like artificial insulin that will uh, support the dollar for a short while, a short period of time. It is good, but that is the way to go. We are in a critical condition. But I tell you that Ghanaians should expect worse situations than this as we approach Christmas. Because per the, per the way we see things, it is not like, we are, we are not too sure when we are going to, we're going to get the money from INF. You know, the, the, the agreement has not been finalized yet. So negotiations are still ongoing. Documentations are ongoing. So you can imagine what we'll be going through uh, from today up to the end of December and probably uh, the first month of, January, uh, of 2023. So that's the way to go. Well, there, there is something I wanted to say, but I'm careful when I want to talk about it. Uh, no, don't let's, worry. Let's, Just say let's look at Sri Lanka. Let's look at Sri Lanka. Yes. <laughs> Sri Lanka's economy was, has been downgraded. So that 
they can access concessional loans. You know, when you are a lower middle income country, you cannot access concessional loans. So I've been asking myself, I remember we had opportunity to go for this ECF some time back, but that didn't materialize. So can we consider downgrading our economy? In principle, we have been downgraded already. Well, when, when, you, when you say, can we look at downgrading the economy, what exactly do you mean? I, I, I get the analogy, but for, yeah. I, I, for the purposes of our viewers and listeners, if you can explain a bit uh -huh. more. I hope no one will take me on by. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I mean, it's, it's an important point you have made looking at the Sri Lanka example. Yes, I'm saying that, you know, we are now, we rebased our economy in 2006, and that brought us to a lower middle income status. So, can we go back to uh, a, a lower income? Uh, can we go back to where we were before 2006, before rebasing? Mm. So that we can qualify for concessional loans. Concessional loans are cheaper. Concessional loans are the conditions there are more favorable compared to extended credit facility. Or you know, extended credit facility are for uh, budget by the budgetary support, restructuring of our balance of payment and other things. So I've been asking myself, can't you be humble and then say Come and agree that so that we qualify for a better uh, facility because uh, some rating agencies have further downgraded us, whether we like it or not. The economy has been uh, down, downgraded. So that is one option. Forgive me for this uh, suggestion. But, uh, I, 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 find, I find it an interesting one. And you're not the first person I've heard uh, intimate <laughs> this because there are those who have also said that um, this current global financial situation seems there are certain economies who are benefiting from this. Sure. So, like Brazil and Co., uh, who would perhaps even be in the same, some of them are supposed to be in the same bracket as us, but we are supposed to be in that bracket, but we don't seem to benefit. So, sure. it looks like we are just that economy in name, but not in practice. Technically, technically. And that has what has kept these negotiations far too long. You see, that is what has kept these negotiations far too long. But, you see, we need a more sustainable way of, you know, making the economy strong. These are short-term measures. Mm -hmm. You see, we need to understand that the IMF, ECF, will never take Ghana out of this problem. But it is a necessary condition, but not sufficient condition. We need it for now. We find ourselves in critical condition. We need it. It's necessary, but not sufficient. Because we have gone to IMF so many times. So if IMF, ECFs were the antidote, why are we still going there? And going to IMF is not bad. Just to address some short-term challenges. Uh -huh. But we need a more sustainable way of approaching these issues so that we don't go there again. Opposition will always say that it's not good to go to IMF. But when they come to power, they go to IMF. 
And this applies to both parties, NDC and PP. We have all said it before. Okay, so uh, the more sustainable approach is what do we do to boost our reserve? I've been asking myself, that do we have that three months import cover? It is something that we have never thought about it. I sit back, I always ask myself, but hey Ghana, do we have that three months import cover? So if there is any shock, if there's any shock, like, excuse my language, what is happening in Ukraine? If it were us, how will we survive? Do you have that three months import cover? So a more sustainable approach is to ensure that we do everything possible to boost our revenue reserves. To boost our revenue reserves. Productivity, output, agriculture. You know, what can we do to increase our reserve base? But, but what, 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 there are those who tell you, well, we've had planting for food and jobs, agri, as you mentioned. Industry, we've had one district, one factory. All these are supposed to boost the economy for moments like these. Why are we not benefiting? Why are we not reaping the benefit? There are missing links. Until we delineate the political, the politics from some of these, you know, programs, we can never reap the full benefit. Where did one one D, one F, go. Who are the beneficiaries? What kind of monitoring and evaluation programs were put in place to monitor the effectiveness, evaluate, you know, the, 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 the implementation of such programs? What are we doing to ensure that the leakages, we, 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 we fix all the leakages, tax revenue generation capacity, one of the worst, one of the least in sub-Saharan Africa, Ghana. Our tax revenue generation capacity is one of among the least, one of the uh, poor performing uh, in, 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 in sub-Saharan Africa. What are we doing to ensure that all revenue that's supposed to go to the government goes there? There are a number of loopholes in our tax system. We need to restructure the tax laws. We need to ensure that whoever is doing business is paying taxes. There are so many cases. I mean, these are some of the sustainable ways that we can put in place to ensure that there is continuous generation of revenue that will become self-reliant. Again, Christmas is approaching. Everybody's mm. thinking about traveling to China, US, China, US, China, US, Europe to bring goods. Is it possible for government to lift a, a, a place a ban on importation? Outright ban. Because, like I, I submitted earlier, imported inflation is contributing so much to the inflation component of this country. And food inflation is also a problem. So if you're able to produce enough, if you're able to consume what we produce, if you're able to domesticate, we will not be dependent on imported food items. Then the dollar, the city will gain some strength against the dollar. It is a mere demand and supply issue. So government, 
pegging the port rate against the interbank rate, for me, I don't I see it as a fiasco. Really? It may not work. Of course, it may not work. It may, you see, in, 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 in theoretical terms, you see it as a nice thing, but in practice, no. <laughs> because people are in high, people are demanding the dollar. People are demanding the dollar. There's high demand for the dollar. People are traveling abroad. People are now preparing themselves to shop abroad for Christmas goods to come and sell. So that alone will not suffice. Is it possible we can place a ban on the potential of some essential commodities? Some, uh, not, not, not essential per se, but some traditional goods like rice, those that we consume in larger quantities. Is it possible? We can do that. But the other side of it is that if you place a ban on it, what are we going to eat? <laughs> so, planting for food and jobs. Yes, there have been some achievements. But why are we still suffering? Why is food prices going up? A more sustainable approach to this problem is very, very critical. Mm. Thank you very much, Professor Tapepra, coming in with some interesting nuggets there. Um, Dr. Janosai Kwapon, just hold on for me before, because uh, Mr. Jackson has to leave, so I want to give him uh, the time I've given him for the final round now so that he can depart, and then I'll spend the rest of the time with uh, Franklin, Prof, Dr. Kwame Sapung, and then Dr. Janosai Kwapon, so do forgive me on that. So, Joe, you've heard Prof. Uh, he, he's already touched on the point I was going to raise in the third phase where I was going to ask about, is it time to bring in some level of protectionism uh, into the market? Uh, we, we've seen, uh, sometimes I always say, Nigeria is like a place that interests me because it's a lot of good and it's a lot of bad. And uh, they specialize in moments like this, telling you that, okay, it's okay, don't bring this into our country right now. When we finish doing our business, we'll come and check up with you. It's something we struggle to do here. Is it something that we should be looking at? Uh, I'm not sure that's the, the route to go. Okay. I'm not really sure. Okay. And uh, today I've, I've taken away a beautiful analogy uh, that uh, From Professor Prof. Atta Pepper yes. said. He says the Bank of Ghana is holding a mop, cleaning a slippery floor with its monetary policy. But the Ministry of Finance is actually the one pouring water on the floor with his fiscal policy. You see, everything boils down to two things. You have to cut expenditure and increase revenue. When you do the two, things will start to, you signal to the market, right? And thinks you you would even be able to cut a, a, a deal with the IMF. At the moment, we're still not sure what exactly they mean by the sustainable the path to sustainable debt. But I can tell you what I think. That mm. um, you see, when you look at our the, the profile of our expenditure, the two big line items: salaries and the servicing of debt. Mm. You can't touch salaries. You can't touch salaries. So what will you touch? The servicing of our debt. Who can you negotiate with and bring your will to bear upon them? Domestic holders of your debt. So, I believe strongly 
that there has to be a haircut. It is going to be painful. It is going to be unfair. But that's the only way in this crisis we are going to bring our debt into a sustainable path. That's the market you play in. That's the market I play. Will I take pain? Yes. I will take pain. Well, but, it will be interesting to know what the SEC says about all this. Debt. It, it will be interesting, but the point is this. that I, Otherwise, what are you going to cut? In truth... We all demand that they should cut the size of government. We all demand that they should cut the, the number of ministers. And I agree with that because that also indicates that you, the government, are sharing in the pain. Mm. Cote d'Ivoire, in similar circumstances, cut down their number of ministers significantly. Ghana has not done that. That is symbolic. That is good. But you've got to cut expenditure. And, and the symbolic ones will only cut from the fringes. Think about it. Middle of the year, a review was done, and there were some measures to cut expenditure, right? 30% mm. cutting salaries, no fuel coupons, this, that, and the whole. Do you know how much was cut? A total of $3.5 billion. $3.5 billion out of an expected budget of 100 Point five billion, so less than five percent. Three what? Three point five percent. Roughly, yeah. That's insignificant because the big value items were not touched. Because we have some uh, 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 sacred cows that we cannot touch. If you want to stop the water pouring on the floor, cut expenditure. If you want to restore confidence in the city, cut expenditure. And not just cosmetic cuts. Mm. Deep, wounding, unfair, painful cuts. I have a feeling the IMF will be suggesting these cuts. I, I, I suspect it's going beyond suggestion. Because when you, take in, 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 when you take anybody's expenditure and you want to say cut, you start from the biggest line items. And you start because they will have the biggest effect. So there we are. The things we asked you to cut that you didn't cut, and somebody will tell you to cut if I give you money. You know, when we refuse to discipline ourselves, mm. the world will draw a line around our behavior, and that line will be narrow and painful. Your, your, what are your thoughts on... <clears throat> Uh, Prof's point about perhaps uh, downgrading, downgrading the, the we've been downgraded already. It's not an issue. No, but the down, he, what he's saying is maybe an official downgrade. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think. I, I, I really, I have no thoughts neither here. Nor because basically, what he's saying is that we are we are a very poor man. We're we're a broke man wearing a very expensive suit. Oh yes, because we, you know why. So we, right now, just take off the you suit know why and jump. We, we had broke. an expensive suit because we were broke and we kept borrowing. So our lifestyle they don't match with how much money we were earning. Now they stopped lending to us because they see the suit we are wearing. Because they see you're saying remove the suit and let them see that you don't have anything. Possible, but I'm more concerned today now about cutting it. But you see, removing the suit is cutting expenditure. 
removing the suit is cutting the expenditure and letting everybody see that life is hard. Unless we cut expenditure, we're not going anywhere. Unless we get to the point where instead of debating whether ministers should be changed, we debate how much ministers should be removed and never come back. Mm, interesting points. Uh, we, are not getting, we are not getting where we need to go. All right. Joe Jackson, <laughs> Director of Business Operations for Delex Finance. So now let me come into uh, uh, Dr. Jonas Aquapo. And Joe Jackson will be taking leave of us. Uh, he has another appointment. Thank you very much, Joe. Dr. Jonas Aquapo. Yes, sir. Yes. I'm sure you've heard the interesting suggestions that have come up. Um, your thoughts on this IMF engagement, where we are with it, uh, mm-hmm. and whether in analyzing the Ministry of Finance's statement and also the IMF's own statement this week, it gives you a fair shake of where we will be at the end of the year. Will we get money or not? And this coming in of some $790 million from uh, the first tranche of the Cocoa Board uh, money, uh, how much relief should it give us as we await proper relief? And then your other thoughts on solutions, also maybe comments on uh, I am very interested by Professor Tapipra's suggestion uh, of how the 1D1 FPFJ, which was supposed to perhaps be our buffers at this crucial time, have not seen t- to help. And also, time to just say, look, we are not this economy. We are that economy. So give us money for cheaper rather than this kind of money. Your thoughts? Yeah. So let me start with the, uh, the issue of the IMF engagement. In the course of the week, um, I, 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 I had an engagement in which I talked about the fact that um, I was wondering if we were going to hear anytime soon from the Ministry of Finance because I felt there was some sort of a gap, a gap where we were not getting any either communication signals or any policy signals that says we do recognize what is going on and this is where we are. And I put that within the context of when we first announced that we were going to seek an IMF bailout. The Ministry of Finance quickly put together a, a frequently asked questions with answers, which mm-hmm. I thought was, uh, was a very good way of communicating uh, with citizens. It listed a number of issues in there. Why are we doing this? What would be the effect? What would be the consequences, et cetera, et cetera. It's a very detailed document, but I just felt that post that there seemed to be this gap where you kept wondering, um, is, is officialdom aware of the way things are going? Are we going to hear from anybody, et cetera, et cetera? So in a way, I am, I am somewhat relieved that there's been a communique from the Ministry of Finance, at least to give us an update on, on where things stand. I know these negotiations take quite a bit of time, but the one thing that I've been also curious about is what are the sticking points, right? Are there some really um, tough issues that still needs a few more rounds of negotiation for both the IMF and the government to come to a final agreement so that we can uh, so that we can get a deal. Um, I am not privy to any inside information, but I, I would really like to know what the remaining sticking points are that is still 
requiring a few more talks, a few more conversations, and a few more negotiations before we can uh, we can get a deal. Even if we get a deal, so um, from the statement, the the projection is that they are hoping that by the end of the year we'll be able to get a deal. Even if we get a deal, it also doesn't mean that once you get the deal, you get all of the money that you're seeking for, right? It's given to you in tranches based upon meeting certain benchmarks along um, along the way. But I'm I'm hoping that we will be able to strike a deal, um, a deal that would you know give us the incentive probably to make some really difficult choices. In getting, in exchange for getting the IMF support, so we can place ourselves on um, on a path uh, on a path of uh, recovery. So that's the for me that's the that's the IMF uh, that's the IMF piece. Between now and then, it seems like the policy approaches we should ride out the storm um, till something concrete uh, is secured. And for me, then riding out that storm also says, well, what does it mean then for the everyday trader, the everyday importer, the everyday business person, the everyday Ghanaian citizen, right? Especially if you look at it from the point of view of the exchange rate. Um, our exchange, you know, the exchange rate is built into quite a number of pricing formulas, you know, for example, on petroleum products. So how is that ultimately then transferred to the, uh, to the consumer? On, uh, in relation to that, on the exchange rate, then, uh, even if you look at the interbank uh, daily rates from uh, the BOG, you still see that uh, sort of upward trend in terms of the dollar against the city, even from our, even from our central bank. The finance minister said something in the course of the week when he was asked about the situation where he said, he finds it perplexing. He talked about, you know, the things that normally would come in uh, to help show up the CD uh, a little bit. And I've also been wondering about that in terms of, okay, so we announced the $750 million facility. I think it was from the African Development Bank uh, sometime a couple of months ago. It didn't make much of a dent in terms of taming uh, the exchange rate. Normally, when the Cocoa Syndicated loan is secure, even the announcement that we've been able to secure the Cocoa Syndicated loan, you would see some taming um, of the currency market in terms of the exchange rate. This time around, even the announcement of that one point, almost 1.2 billion facility didn't seem to shake the currency market in terms of taming down the rapid depreciation of the city. So then you also ask yourself, there has to be something more than just these inflows of dollars that we need to give us a, a, a stable currency. And oh, I'm not an economist, but I think that it really boils down to a simple matter of demand and supply, right? Mm. That um, the demand for the dollar is, is, is strong and it's not matching uh, the supply. And simple, you know, economics 101, from what I recall from my undergraduate it says, part of that then is going to push exactly what it is that uh, we're seeing. So then should we, as you put it, uh, we are a poor man wearing an expensive suit. So should we go back to the reality of saying we truly are a poor man? I... 
it, it would mean that I think if I understand uh, Prof. Pepra very well, it would mean doing another rebasing, right? So we rebased and rebased, and it put us within a certain income bracket. Uh, does it mean that we are going to do a rebasing of the rebase to bring us down into a position where we can now access the uh, the concessional loans that Prof. Uh, Prof was describing. I, for me, when uh, when one of the rebasings was done and it showed that we had a much lower debt to GDP ratio, I remember saying to myself, I am concerned that it would provide us with a perverse incentive that says now we have a much bigger room, we have a much big, bigger fiscal space, we can go on and borrow because all of a sudden, our debt-to-GDP ratio came down to, I think, about 50-something percent. And so that perverse incentive now says, oh, 50-something percent debt-to-GDP ratio, we are in good shape, we can go and you know accumulate a little more debt because now we have a much big, bigger uh, fiscal space. For me, when all is said and done, whether it's riding the storm, whether it's waiting for the IMF bailout, I still think that we need some really strong policy signals from the government. Hopefully, we would get that when the 2023 budget is read. I'm, th I'm guessing sometime, you know, November. What, 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 can you uh, look into a crystal ball and say this and this is what would be done? Well, I think the, the, the record, you know, from, from what you keep reading and hearing, you know, in the, in the public spaces, in media reports, hopefully we will do something about debt, debt and debt sustainability. Hopefully we'll also do something about the expenditure side of the budget, right? That hopefully there would be more direct uh, policy signals and actions from the government that says, look, these are the specific steps that if we take would put us back on a, on, on, on a path of recovery. And I'm looking forward to the budget between now and when we secure an IMF deal and what those details would entail. Hopefully the 2023 budget will be one of the clearest signals in terms of what uh, the, the, the government plans to do. I know we talk a lot about uh, looking at the expenditure side of the, of the budget, um, given the budget deficit that we face. But I also ask myself, you, even if you halted all government flagship programs, that's just 9 billion of the 40-something billion hole that we were expecting in 2022 which means that are you going to then move into the territory of looking at mandatory spending and doing something there, which becomes ex extraordinarily politically difficult to do, right? You can't touch wages and salaries, mm -hmm. or there's a serious political risk that comes with touching wages and salaries. You have to pay the interest on your, on your debt, right? Um, so how do you find ways to really restructure that um, and, and deal with that? There, it's for me. It seems like there are no easy choices or easy options facing the government. But that is also the mark of true leadership. That in times of crisis, you are willing to make the difficult choices that needs to be made, so that it puts your country back on a path, you know, on mm. a path of recovery. 
All right. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Dr. John Osain. Uh, I have one other question for you, but I'll ask that question after I return from my break. I also have a lot of messages uh, that I'll be taking. So keep watching the big issue uh, on City TV and listening on City uh, 97.3. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the big issue. Let me take a couple of messages. Well, let me just ask uh, Dr. Janosai upon my uh, question, then I will look at the messages that have come through 0549 986 996 and 0550 Now, Doc, your, your quick thoughts, though, on uh, Prof's rather interesting proposal on maybe it might be also time to become a bit more inward-looking to stem this tide of the dollar going up. And by, you know, I, I think he talked about um, uh, ban on importation or... Of some essential goods, if necessary. Some essential goods so that we can, you know, folk, because, you know, we have these uh, domestic initiatives that we're trying, planting for food and jobs, one district, one uh, one factory, right? These are, you know, domestic initiatives that if you, you know, uh, exercise that option of banning importation of certain key uh, goods that we import from outside, then there has to be that domestic capacity to be able to meet that internal uh, demand. And for me, I think it's an idea uh, that has some merit to it if ultimately that would insulate our economy from some of these exogenous shocks that we tend to experience every time that something is happening um, uh, externally. All right, let me just take the messages now and then I'll bring Franklin in. And then also uh, Dr. Kwame Sapong, SCDU, uh, because this week we received a rather worrying missive from the Ghana National Chamber of Pharmacy, uh, the Pharmaceutical Association of Ghana, Pharmaceutical Importers and Wholesalers. Uh, they were having problems and also some health uh, service providers have also spoken on what the economy and the currency is doing to their business. But some messages, Selassie in Tema says, my view about the finance minister's assertion that a rush for the dollar to import for Christmas is to blame for the woes of the city's disingenuous. This rush for dollars to import goods happens every year. Every year the craving for the dollar happens and does indeed puts pressure on the city. But that pressure has never in the history of this country, not even in our worst of times, like the early 80s, caused the CD to depreciate so fast in two to three days. From 11 CDs after having come from six CDs in a couple of months back to 14 CDs in just a matter of less than 70 hours is unheard of. Face the fact, people who can are fast taking their money out of this country. Investors are trooping out like there was a war. Just because our outlook is so terrible, we are downgraded almost to junk status. Then those who can't take their money out are seeing their invested capital erode by very huge percentages through no fault of theirs. Not because of any bad investment decision, but simply because the value of their CDS in dollar terms not the same as it was just a week prior. Then you factor in our interest rate and inflation, and their capital is almost wiped out overnight. So to save themselves, they change the CD into dollars and keep and put more pressure on the city so those who have dollars stand to gain. But let's face it, 
the biggest contributor to the two problems mentioned above is the country's debt crisis, which presents a looming catastrophe for our economy. That's why investors are living in droves and capital is eroding fast. To say it is the Christmas rush is just pure dishonesty in my view. If you don't recognize what the problem is, you can't prefer solutions. This is really, really uh, good from Selassie in Tema. Uh, this one says, uh, good morning, Godfrey. I can't explain why the economy is failing or the government is crying that there's no money. But I also don't understand how there can be no money if at this time we are still sponsoring the black stars to go to Qatar. I hope the government is not sponsoring supporters groups like they did. We don't want to see any sports ministers crying on national TV. Uh, this one says, uh, good morning, Godfrey. This is Joseph Mormon uh, from the USA. I am not sure many families are going to put enough food on their tables for this coming Christmas and New Year due to the high inflation and the poor economy. Until Ghana gets rid of her trade deficit, meaning creates more jobs, focus on more exporting than importing to allow the economy to boom or else, I'm not sure the economy will be stable. Um, this one also says, an important factor in Ghana's economic crisis is the deregulation of the economy and its fin financialization, which began in the 90s under the SAPs. This has continued unabated. Structural transformation of the economy but cannot be realized with one, a commitment to MNS MNCs being able to repatriate 100% of profits. Two, attempts to deepen industrial agric and its dependence on fossil fuel-based agric inputs. And uh, this, well, he's, this is a question that he wants answered. So um, I will throw that question out. But Franklin, I'm sure you've heard also the suggestions that have come in on what we can do going forward. And you've spoken uh, significantly about some of the things that need to be done. But your thoughts on some of the proposals that have been discussed this morning? Well, well first of all, the issue about uh, trying to hold the currency in abeyance, as in trying to fix the currency uh, for a segment of the market is, is not sustainable. Yeah, um, Prof says it won't work. Well, definitely won't work. Um, in fact, if, if Joe Jackson were still, was still in the studio, I would have reminded him of what his uh, friend, his colleague and Thompson has always said, that the city should be allowed to fall to, 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 to its <laughs> normal level. And, and I think there's some uh, wisdom in that. And the wisdom is that clearly your currency can only get stronger if the domestic, in, uh, should I say, uh, structures are able to help shore it up. And, and, and by that, what do we really mean? I mean, if you're able to uh, build on the initiatives like planting for food and jobs, 1D, 1F, and they were really viable and, 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 and had their own uh, qualitative outcomes, somehow the city would not suffer the way it suffered as we speak right now. You know, there's been some some suggestions that maybe, I mean, Prof. Um, suggests that we probably should downgrade the economy to, to, to a level that would require basically tell people that, look, we are truly, really poor. And, and that reminds me of an article the finance minister wrote uh, when COVID was, was mm. raging in the Financial mm. Times, suggesting that... The countries that were less blessed with resources, like uh, I mean, um, I mean lower, basically lower level, lower developed countries, who were given some sort of respite by the financial financial institutions, uh, same should be extended to Ghana. And 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 some of us were wondering that 
I mean, those countries really are, are the lower ranks of, of poverty, really. But we have the opportunity and we have the largesse to spend on, on items that we shouldn't be spending on. Essentially, the point I'm making is that even if we're required to be downgraded, the behaviors that mimic uh, someone who is essentially <laughs> poor and, and, and indeed, uh, uh, should I say, rational, unfortunately, it's, it's, not, it's not within our realms at all. And I think a lot more thinking has to be done when it comes to issues about uh, proper expenditure, proper preservation of, of good governance when it comes to uh, deciding on how our resources are used. I think, clearly speaking, the conversation about what to do even after having an IMF. And by the way, I, it, it's, 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 I'm not entirely, we shouldn't be entirely surprised if we got a deal probably in December or early early next year. Don't forget the, the, the current IMF boss uh, is a friend of uh, African finance ministers. When she had troubles at the World Bank, African finance ministers supported her. Uh, but she counted that that support rather strongly. So mm. I, I, I'm just making a, a, should I call it a, a, some sort of political analysis? Here. Oh, certainly. But there's room is, for that. Yeah, there's room for that. So it also should be expected. But the fundamental issue really would have been, or would be, how do we essentially behave after having an IMF program? And I think we can take a lesson from Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka just decided, I think this week, that they were going to um, limit the powers of the president. I mean, the powers that allowed the carnage to have occurred in the first place, the carnage of grand corruption, the carnage of appointing anybody into any office at all, the carnage of essentially being wasteful. I think if we started thinking in those terms, then maybe our politics would start getting refined. And that, right, that redefinition or refining we can see in the kinds of uh, projects and programs that are thrown to us during elections. Maybe if we don't have that, maybe what we can do is to have the political parties move motions in parliament to, to ensure that at, at least we have some level of, um, some entity that reviews government projects, programs, and policies some sort of an assessor general of sorts. Because the rate at which we are going, even if we get out of this hole, I'm sorry, we'll go back to our, our, our old ways. And maybe that is what the Fiscal Council was supposed to do. Let's strengthen it, give it the power to be able to independently verify, monitor, and evaluate programs, policies, and government so that we do not get ourselves into this hole, whether um, ever again, really. But um, just a, a quick one there, since you also have your ears on the ground most of the time. This five-member committee that was set up to discuss the domestic uh, debt restructuring and its ramifications or the potential of it uh, with stakeholders, uh, how has that been going? Because uh, consumers, on the other hand, are saying, well, we are not getting any, we, we are not hearing much. And looking at the potential of getting a deal by the end of the year. It means these arrangements could come into play very, very soon. Well, I mean, I'm sure that the committee has its own terms and they are supposed to be dealing with the domestic side of issues, which everybody who has spoken about this matter or who is closer to the matter suggests that you need to start with the domestic, uh, uh, should I say, that restructuring processes. 
um, it will it will be to serve the government a lot of use or purpose if they if they if they are able to tell us exactly what has been achieved. I don't know how the I don't know what what the modus operandi for this should I the scope of um, the I mean the mission scope is essentially is uh, I mean the way they are going about it I, I don't have any clues at all but I think we have an idea that it will definitely involve some sort of haircut, which uh, which Joe uh, Jackson believes in. And I think somehow something started occurring in the first place. If you if you put your ears to the ground, um, some of us have heard that some uh, bondholders, especially contractors, are being asked to take a haircut. I mean, you'll be told that the value of your contract is about 100 million cities, all right, but it will give you 80 million. And, and, and the 80 million may not even somehow be available. So now you start looking at people who can actually get you the money quicker. And then uh, you may then want to talk to some people who can get the money for you quickly. And that will mean also depressing the value of your contract by probably 10%. So eventually you may end up getting about 60 to 50 million out of 100 million Ghana cities. I'm just saying that this is what I've also been hearing on the ground. So the haircut has been happening. It has to be officialized. But even as it is being done, um, you can be sure that there could be people who benefit from the system as well. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, never ne- crisis moment give opportunity to people to take advantage of the system as well. So, mm. it's already started. We only need it to be officialized, and then we get to know at the extent to which this this I mean, the, the, the extent to which the cuts will go. Okay. So, um, I, I want to add a new leg to this: uh, the health side of things. Uh, so this week, like we said, we've heard from Guta, for instance, uh, and they got an outcome. So the government is promising to maintain forex rate at the ports to aid traders. We've heard Professor Atta prepare opinion on that. But this week um, as well, we heard from the pharmacy side of the economy. <clears throat> Sorry. And by that, I mean the chamber the manufacturers, importers as well. They issued a statement, and uh, it's something that uh, Dr. Kwame Sapongesiedu, who is a pharmacist and a research philosopher of CDD, had uh, intimated about earlier. He had written about this happening very soon, and then we got the statement about three or so days after uh, his article on they need to watch what the current economic crisis was doing in the health space. So, and everybody goes to the hospital. You, and you can't predict when you go to the hospital. Everybody takes drugs of some kind. So, what's happening basically, according to them, is that, for instance, from the chamber, the manufacturers and the importers and exporters, they are saying one, the exchange rate is a problem. And so, the statement says that over the past year, the exchange rate of the city to the dollar has risen from five cities. Uh, 80 pesos to 13 cities, 90 pesos, and it still continues to rise. This means that importers of finished pharmaceutical products, manufacturing inputs and equipment for pharma operations will need more cities for their operations. <clears throat> for example, if 580,000 Ghana cities was needed to import a consignment of medicines, which cost $100, CD, $100 as at the end of 2021, uh, 1.3, 1, 1, yes, basically 1.3 million Ghana cities will be needed to buy the same consignment of medicines today. So an extra amount of 810000 is required as top-up over last year's money. This confirms the ravaging nature of the city devaluation and its direct impact 
on pharmaceutical operations. They talk about payment terms. The pharmaceutical industry is credit-driven. Public sector pays on the average between 6 and 12 months because of delayed payments from their national health insurance scheme. Majority of private sector facilities make payments for all supplies within three to four months. In the current circumstances of daily devaluation of the city, it is imperative to state that pharmaceutical supplies on credit under these terms has led to erosion of operational capital of pharmaceutical importers and manufacturers. Inflation, they talk about the current inflation rate, that stands at 37%. They talk about interest rates on loans contracted from commercial banks as at end of last year, which was approximately 27% and currently stands at 35% on a compounding scale. Talk about fuel prices. The cumulative fuel price increase from beginning of the year to date stands at 71%. Uh, typical public sector business always has a caveat of last mile delivery, which means that suppliers are contract bound to deliver all orders to the respective warehouses, approved storage sites of the Ministry of Health, Ghana Health Service across the country. They talk about utilities. The cost of utilities, according to the PURC, has increased by 27% for electricity and 21% for water. We know about this one. And then they talk about the reversal of benchmark values and say that the benchmark value discount policy has also affected them. It uh, means that importers of finished pharmaceutical products are made to pay 70% of applicable taxes on medicines instead of the 50% they used to pay. Interestingly, all these statutory taxes paid to government agencies are all paid in cash. So, this what are they going to do? They are calling for an immediate action to save the industry, but their decisions are this. No credit policy for all buyers in the industry. All transactions with immediate effect shall be on cash basis until the economy stabilizes. And then their recommendations are that the NHIS and all private health insurance companies are encouraged to give accredited facilities seed funds to buy medicines on cash for supplies to patients under the schemes. All end-user institutions, that's retail pharmacies, private hospitals and clinics, are encouraged to secure loans from banks to buy medicines on cash. The Ministry of Finance and Economic Planning should release funds immediately to pay for the long-standing debts and to push all to, and push to clear all overdue debt. The Ghana Statistical Service is advised to include medicines amongst the basket of items used for the consumer price index calculations. Such an adjusted CPI will display a better inflation rate for planning and strategy for the pharmaceutical sector. And finally, the Ministry of Health, Ghana Health Service and NHIS should, as a matter of urgency, meet with the leadership of the above associations to discuss possible financial re-engineering to save the situation. Conclusion. The Chamber, the PMAG and PIW implore all stakeholders and the general public to understand and support this initiative in these trying moments to save pharmaceutical businesses from imminent collapse. So I come to Dr. Kwame Sapong, a CEDU, pharmacist and research fellow, CDD, who had written about this happening way before it happened. And I'm saying this is not good news at all. Doc. Dr. Sapong, you can hear me. Yes, I can hear you. Yes, um, can you hear me? this is this is grim reading. Well, well, it's it's. I wouldn't say it's grim reading. I can see my colleague, um, Professor Sekwapo, laughing because 
if he, he would be candid with you, we started having conversations about the trends as far back as April mm. at CBD. Yes. And my you should have told us in April. Instead of having a conversation, I've just told us. No, no. Let, let, me, let me build something. So our first alert came out in June. We actually put our data in June to show the trends. And we actually suggested what could be done to ameliorate the problem. Then nothing happened. We then wrote again in August. This time setting out why we needed an external pricing mechanism in the pharmaceutical sector to try and resolve this problem. Again, nothing happened. Then, two weeks ago, because we are collecting another set of data on the pharmaceutical sector, we realized that the prediction in August, that's at August, <clears throat> the um, price change dynamics in the pharmaceutical sector was between 33 and 49%, and we said that was sustainable. But the latest data coming we're seeing that on average it's about 127%, with some around 270%. So again, I had the conversation with John, I said, this doesn't look good. And at that time, I did say that the only way the sector would be saved was to go cash and carry. Because if you look at the modeling, and you look at our health financing, and the fact that already 52% of the population pay for health services out of pocket, and the NHIS, if you look at their indicative prices, because the NHIS has a formula through which to reinvest this, their prices are 35% currently behind the market average. That said, they are owing people between 6 and 13 months, meaning that even if they pay them now for those goods, at the rates that they were supplied, the people cannot restock. So it's a huge, um, what do you call it, a mess. If I should put it that way, a huge, huge mess that could clearly have been avoided. The sad thing is, if you read the statement from the chamber and you look at what they are suggesting now, that should have been done much earlier. Why do I say much earlier? Because a lot of the pharmacy supply chain is bankrolled by the wholesalers and importers. They give 30 days credit and all that. So the retailers are generally not going to the banks to take loans to buy these. And that, therefore, takes the bank rates on these pharmacies a bit lower. Currently, the bank rate is about 41%. So if you tell them to now go and raise capital, because if you say the NHIS should give them capital, it's not going to happen. The government just doesn't have the money. We all know that. If they have to go to the banks to raise capital, then automatically that capital would have to add on to the price transfer to both NHIS and to the end consumer, which is going to increase prices by at least 41%, because that is the bank rate currently. And it wouldn't be just 41%, because they have to put their profit. No one treats as a loss, and the pharmacies cannot absorb these, um, what do you call it, hits. So we need to sit down, and we need to have an honest conversation about the sector. That sector is, as of 2021, was about $690 million dollars. It's growing by about 5.7%. So it's past $700 million now. We need to sit down and have an honest conversation. And why I say that, you cannot fault the chamber. We have two issues at the moment. If the chamber do not pull the brakes and they don't have liquidity, 
And the importers also don't pull the brakes and they don't have liquidity to pay their creditors abroad. What's going to happen is they are going to crash. If they pull the brakes like they've done now and the uh, retail pharmacies do not have the liquidity, that means there might be a supply chain glitch where there would be decreased stocks in the pharmacies because they don't have the cash to buy, which then might affect patient outcomes because prices will go up and patient compliance with their medication, especially for chronic diseases, will go down, which would mean their prognosis will go south. That is the whole thing that we were predicting as far back as April and June. But like I say, in this country, we don't listen until proverbially it hits the front. And that's where we are. But, but when you started picking this up, you said you put it out there. Did, did you make, for instance, the NHIS aware or the health ministry aware officially that this is the storm that is on the horizon and you need to take a look at this? Why would they underestimate the, the potential pitfalls that were ahead of us? I don't know if you've seen a circular that was put out by the NHIS on the very day that the chamber came out, they acknowledge co-payment is on the rise, and they acknowledge that they have to start negotiating with the chamber. That was on the same day. I don't know if you've seen that from the NHIS. The other point is that when something is put out by civil society, it's put out on their website, on their blogs. And <clears throat> you do not write to the people of fishing. You just say, this is what's happening, because... You are a civil society organization and you inform the general public as well as the stakeholders. And that is their, their approach. If you then get approached to try and input into policy, then you join in the input in policy. Because if the government thinks that they have it under control, you cannot force yourself. So the answer is no. Nobody wrote directly. To but the point is, the NHIS should have known that their formulary was negotiated last year and the prices were going up. They should have known that with the fact that they have their inflows are constant because of the NHIS law and they are not indexed to the dollar, if they open renegotiation for their formulary, currently their prices would go up by about 35%, which would mean that their drug bill would go up by about 35% with their inflows not changing which would impact on them considerably. They should have known these things. I don't think anyone should tell them, if you are running an organization like that, you should also be reading the market. And so I, I, I struggle a bit that we've gotten to this point. But then again, I ask myself, do we listen in this country anyway? I doubt we do. Let, let me ask a few questions of you. The statement ends by saying... <sighs> All transactions with immediate effect shall be on cash basis until the economy stabilizes. What would be considered stable for uh, the chamber, PMAG, and PIWA under the current circumstances we are in? To understand how the pharmaceutical sector works for stability, there are three major indices and there are three minor ones. There's the forex rate, there's inflation, and there's the bank rate. So for as long as the Bank of Ghana continues to increase the policy rates to try and quell inflation, and inflation is on the rise, and um, what do you call it, and the forex is also on the rise, there would not be any stability 
in the pharmaceutical sector. They would because the sector is 85% dependent on forex. Yes, we import, we manufacture 23% of our medicines in Ghana, but even then, close to 80% of the raw materials, the equipment, the fillers, you name it, the capsules are all imported into the country. The pharmaceutical grade, they are all imported. They are not made in Ghana. So if the forex continues to go, there's no way the chamber would say that there is stability. That's not going to happen. And that is why, if you read what we wrote in August, we said that one of the quickest ways would have been for government to have targeted supply of um, what do you call it, forex, to the pharmaceutical sector at a preferential rate. Mm. Because at the end of the day, like you said, health drives the engine of every economy by way of their human resource. An unhealthy human resource is an unhealthy economy. And so if this goes on, it's going to affect our economy adversely. And that was why we put out that. But unfortunately, we are here and the government doesn't have the forex now. So we need to start thinking creatively around, do we have development banks, for example? The development banks, do they have the capacity to, for example, give the retail pharmacy, the end user pharmacies, loans at a lower preferential rate so that they can buy in cash? Are they able to find forex for the wholesalers and importers and manufacturers as well? We need to start having these hard conversations and nip this in the bud because if we don't, the trajectory wouldn't be good. Uh, let, let me just ask you, what, what is the balance uh, between uh, the drugs that are manufactured here and those that we import? Although you've also alluded to the fact that we do import the components for even the ones that are made here. What are we looking at? Yes, it's, you're talking about 77, 23. Oh, okay. We, our local manufacturer is about 23%. In the scope of global comparison, is that big or small? In the scope of global comparison, we are in a very bad place because if you look at India, it's 928. 92% of all pharmaceuticals made, uh, used in India are manufactured in India. You have a similar dynamic in Pakistan. You have a similar dynamic in Korea. Yes, when you come to the UK and Europe, because they are doing what they call, um, what do you call it, outsourcing their manufacturer. Even though technically you still say that those things are manufactured in the US or the UK, they have plants in India because cost of manufacture is cheaper, which are licensed by their relators who manufacture specifically for the markets. So everyone has its pharmaceutical strategy. The question I keep asking is, what is Ghana's pharmaceutical strategy? Mm. What is the potential for increasing those numbers? Is Ghana a good place for increasing those numbers? Well, yes, I would say that Ghana is a good place. I mean, we have one of the best regulators in Africa, the FDA. We have uh, a lot of manufacturing plants that have what is the WHO good manufacturing practice standards, the high ISO standards, because the FDA pushed them to do that. Then you look at the sub-region, and pharmaceutical manufacture is on the low in other countries in the sub-region. So we are in a good place. 
environment is such that the ingredients that go is what's been invested in building all these plants and all other things and training the human resource. The pharmacist, pharmaceutical analyst, um, GMP specialist and all that. But if the stability to get the raw materials in and do everything is not there, then you're going to struggle. Hmm. All right, then uh, let me uh, catch up. Dr. Kwame Saponsi, who is a pharmacist and uh, research fellow with the CBD. Uh, Professor Sapepa, are you still with us? Is Professor Tafepa still with us? Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Yes, I'm sure you've been following this part of the conversation and the imminent problem it presents to the economy, looking at what the pharmaceutical side is saying and what the economy is doing to, to them. So they highlight exchange rates, payment terms, inflation, interest rates, fuel price, utilities, reversal, and basically are saying that if you are not you don't have money, actual cash, don't come and do business with them. <laughs> As for this one, I I I I I I I bet you differ <laughs> with your opinion. With all due respect. Go on. So I, I, I would I would plead that you know the association takes a second look at this. But this is about hell. This is about hell. And so go back to cash and carry system. But, 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 <laughs> that... but, 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 but Prof, health is money. And the economy <laughs> is not favoring them at the moment. The, the, uh, all uh, the things uh, you I, spoke about affects them as well. I agree with you perfectly. But that is not the way to go. And that can be the solution. Let's also think about the health of the people of Ghana. Okay, let's think about the head of from Ghana. So does it mean that now if the economy bounces back, <laughs> now we can do business on credit? So by the time the economy, sorry, sorry, by the time the economy bounces back, Kenyans would have died. And who are you going to do business with? So this is an essential service. You know, it's an essential service it's about health is health matters. So let's find an alternative way of handling this issue. Again, uh, you were also made mention, your, your statement also made mention of the fact that her BOJ should not use the monetary policy rate. I, 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 and I, I find that also to, not to be proper. I don't think that's no, a no, I don't, I don't think I don't think I said the BOJ should not use the monetary policy rate. That is coming from the Chamber of Farms. Yeah, Prof. And just, and, and just and just to be on the same page, Doctor Kwame Zaponsiedu yeah. is not represented in this statement. He just focused. Oh, okay. He works for the CDD, oh, okay. with a focus on this sector. Oh, okay. Yes. So, so I, and so, uh, well, the statement uh, that you read was yeah. saying that uh, the host, uh, 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 Mr. Host. What is yes, this? my so name is Godfrey. Biology should uh, use the monetary policy rate. I mean, that is also neither here nor there, because uh, that they are mandated by law, and that is the, that is the, that is the working tool for tuning the, the di- directing the economy. So I think let's find a better way of 
addressing some of these issues. I appreciate your concerns. Yes, we cannot collapse the pharmaceutical industry. We can't wait for the industry to collapse. In as much as we cannot wait for the industry to collapse, we cannot also allow our well-meaning Guineans to die. So, <laughs> let's move forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me let me let me give you an example of the current data that yeah. we are picking. So, for example, if you look at a tablet of paracetamol, which is one of the cheapest products you can buy in any country for pay, the price has gone up by, between December and now by 141 percent. Hey. So, and so, how do you bankroll this whole supply chain? Because formerly, what was happening was that the chamber was giving the credit to the, uh, what do you call it, the retailers, and they were paying back over a period of time, 30 days. But because the retailers then are giving it to the NHIS, who are then paying back in 13 months, they are not able to, um, what do you call it, pay back at the guarantee time because their money is locked up as well. What's then happening is that it's depreciating the capital for these manufacturers. So if we are not careful, the situation we're going to find ourselves in is if someone is manufacturing, say, 15,000 tablets a day of paracetamol, they'll suddenly find out that they manufacture 7,500 which would then give a market deficit. And if you listen to the statement they read, they say that the pharmaceuticals should be used as part of the inflationary basket. I still find it surprising that in a country where health of the economy is driven by the health of the citizens, pharmaceutical inflation has never been factored in. I quite remember when myself and John started having these conversations. That was one of the things we found shocking, that no one measures inflation in the pharmaceutical sector. <clears throat> Until the CDD decided that let's look in that area, nobody did, including the Ghana Statistical Service. In fact, the chamber started realizing when we started measuring it, that this was going south. And if you speak to retail pharmacies privately, a lot of them have started trading at a loss. It is not great. No business model can run that way. And so I agree with you, Professor Pepper, that we need to find germane ways of fixing the problem. But the question is, what are the germane ways of fixing the problem? And would the most important stakeholder, which purchases 75% of our pharmaceutical supply, the government, be ready to sit down and have these hard conversations? Those are the questions we need to ask ourselves, and we need to be firm about them. Otherwise, we'll find ourselves in a situation whereby, oh, health is well, and we are not having the robust, difficult conversations, and then the, the sector gets on its knees. And don't forget, it's happened in Ghana before. And the sector gets on its knees, and then we are running from pillar to post, and what will happen is it will affect the quality of pharmaceuticals, because nature abhors vacuum. The minute we have a glut, you get a lot of people bringing in fakes and counterfeits, and that would not be acceptable as well. So we need to see the scope of the problem, and we need to start fixing it accordingly.
Mm. Interesting. Let me come to John. Yeah. John, oh, okay, Prof. Can, can, I, can, I, can, I, can, I, can I chip in something? Yes, please chip I in, and then I, I go I, to Dr. Cyberphone. Yeah, the solution is obvious. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to the budget. You know, this should fall under the expenditure for the budget allocation for the for health sector. Mm -hmm. What is in there? What is in there in terms of um, pharmaceutical uh, procurement? Ministry of Health. What is in there? So let's have healthcare financing plan. There should be proper healthcare financing mechanism, healthcare financing governance. In this country, we yes. need to meet government so that we strengthen and let's have a proper layout, a proper you know a, a plan that addresses healthcare financing issues. Other than that, those at the bottom of the pyramid are going to suffer. Remember, they constitute the majority. Your health is your wealth, and your health is development. Thank you. And, and you see, Prof, before John comes in, and that is why I say we don't listen in this country. As far back as June, we suggested this, exactly what you said, that there needs to be an external pricing mechanism. Every country, even the U.S., the U.K., has an external pricing mechanism for the financing of healthcare so that they can have competitive pricing vis-a-vis the um, sector also not being overpriced so that people cannot afford. We suggested this. And suggested again in August. We are now here saying that we need to do that and it's not in the budget. That is why I keep asking the question that at which point are we going to act? If the budget is not picking it up, uh, um, statistical service is not picking it up, at which point are we going to act? Dr. Yes, sir. Yes, you are also guilty in this matter. <laughs> you've, 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 been, you've, been, you've been having this conversation in secret with Dr. Sapoesidu. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> well, so what, 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 what my colleague and friend and brother Kwame normally does is when he picks up on uh, these data points, he gives me a call and he says, look, uh, what sense can you make of this data? What is it saying to you? What are the you know, implications of that? And I think I was also very, because it's not my area of expertise, immediately I was concerned by some of the very basic uh, concerns that Professor Pepra also has, which is <clears throat> how do you balance the, 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 the rational economic choices that the Chamber of Pharmacy needs to make? Right, because truly, truly, they are not in the business of charity. Right, they are they are in a business. They have to survive. They can't operate at a loss. They can't uh, they can't collapse. I mean, it's it's purely the 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 economic rational, you know, choices that they have to make. But Prof also raises a very important point, which is the humane side of things. Right, that when you move to such an approach, then what happens to access to basic? I mean, for me, I was, the other question I asked Pami the other day was, we are even talking about a basic pain medication like paracetamol and the fact that over a, over a period of a couple of months, you're seeing such an upshoot uh, or an uptick in the price of paracetamol. So you also have to be humane. At the end of the day, then, how do you reconcile the humane part of you to ensure that people can get access to basic medicines 
but also ensuring the economic survival of the very people who make sure that we have a healthy supply of these medicines within our healthcare system. And I think that's where the uh, the conversation that um, you know Kwame and Prof were having about healthcare financing and how we really deal with the governance of healthcare financing becomes a very important uh, a very important issue to address. But yes, for me, when you look at when you look at the numbers, it's it is very worrying to see the impact that it can have on basic access to very simple medicines like a painkiller, like uh, paracetamol. But again, everybody, given the economic times in which we are, I think everyone, every institution, every business is faced with having to make some very difficult choices, some of which would draw the concerns about the quote-unquote humanity of some of those choices. But that's the reality uh, that's the reality we face. It's really mm. impacting everybody. And I'm, as I keep saying, I just hope that sooner rather than later, even if we have <clears> to keep riding the storm till we get back on a path of recovery, these are some of the difficult, or unfortunate but difficult choices that we may have to deal with until we get it back all, you know, all together. All right, then, Dr. Janosai Kwapong, thank you very much. We'll take another break. Uh, Franklin will come and speak on this, and then we'll just try and wrap up the whole economy conversation. The past, let me so we focused on the health side of it and what the current credit crunch is doing to uh, the pharmaceutical side of uh, our existence. The biggest should be right back. <laughs> Welcome back to the big issue as we enter the final. And Franklin, <laughs> you've heard your uh, two friends from the CDD on the pharmacy side, so the chamber, mm -hmm. the importers, the producers, on what the economy is doing to their business and the decision they have taken that all purchases should be on cash basis and the recommendations that they have made. And I want you to add that to... Again, that concern I had that I raised in the previous sector about most of these policies we had, uh, particularly regarding industrialization, that were supposed to be a buffer or you know fallback plan, at least, to cushion us from external influences. But we don't seem to be feeling that. And by that, I mean the push into manufacturing. So we had the 1D1F, the push into planting things that we could have grown some of these things here and given to the pharmacists, but now we have to bring some of those things in. It doesn't speak well of those policies, really. Well, I guess it's... Um, should I call it... Um, it's a, there's a cascading impact of the current times we are in. And uh, as my good friend... Uh, Kwame has uh, elaborated. Um, I think the answer actually lies in exactly ensuring that there's proper economic development and by which uh, we can allude to some of the initiatives we've mentioned as in proper anchoring of these initiatives. 
let's be a bit fair though, and and I think Kwame mentioned that as well. There's been some effort that ensuring that there's investment in the pharmaceutical uh, industry in this country, and there are a few pharmacies pharmaceutical companies that have managed to uh, eke out some sort of investment, and and they are doing quite well. In fact, within the mm-hmm. sub-region. Ghana seems to be some somehow the leading light uh, in in this regard, but but these are baby steps, and 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 even though I recognise that there's something significant that has happened, there's still significant uh, mileage. There's still significant mileage to go. At the end of the day, um, the question is, what exactly would encourage people to come and invest in the sector? I recall somewhere in 2015, at the height of Doomsaw. Um, there was a very big pharmaceutical uh, company that had just established a vaccine plant in South Africa that was looking to expand into Ghana. That came visiting and asking questions about the economics of, uh, of, of the investment. Essentially, how was it feasible for them to um, look into Ghana and, and also establish? And uh, the concerns at the end of their, 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 their visit was that it was very difficult at the time, given the economic indicators that we had, that were existent at the time. Question is, have those multiplied after how many, seven years? Of course it, they, they have. So for me, at the end of the day, the only answer actually lies in ensuring that we invest in these critical sectors so that we can build a shield against some of these uh, foreign or the exigencies that we have. You know, there was a time when the argument was that these medicines, however imported or even domestically produced, were priced out of the reach of ordinary people because somehow, because of the patent. Uh, but as Kwame would tell you, uh, th- that argument at the time, some, some people at the time, including some of us, were arguing that, look, the challenge within the African continent or the developing world was just cost of doing business, the cost of production, and, and, and indeed the taxes that were even imposed on imported medicines. Now we are making a headway, even with some little manufacturing within the country, but then you have these other evil which is plaguing us. So it, it has to be dealt uh, convincingly, uh, but I suspect, that, I suspect that the cash and carry basis, as, as, as Prof doesn't want to hear about it, essentially the case that, well, if you don't do cash and carry, at the end of the day, you can't even, uh, because you need to get the money quickly, uh, race against the exchange rates, and then buy and restock. If you don't, there'll be no medicines left. And on that note, I am probably going to, I should know better, by the way, I'm on some medication which has to be ported, and I have better rush and uh, get them quickly. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so... Depressing, really, but 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 we need to ensure that the right things are done. And uh, I don't know at this juncture. Look, and government is playing a waiting game. In fact, there's there's nothing to be done apart from assure, reassurance. And even though we are calling on the president to speak, it looks as if there's no plan. And uh, we only need to ride the storm, as uh, John has said. Probably just need to ride the storm until something comes out of the IMF deal and quicker. <laughs> Soon as soon. But uh, just to wrap this up on that, again, because you're all civil society players, the president's, this, this push for the president to speak, 
for the president to speak, for the president to speak. There are those who say not really necessary, cosmetic perhaps. Well, it, it may be cosmetic, but he shouldn't be telling people that his ministers are doing so well in the midst of atrophy. I don't think that's one of the things we want to hear. We don't want to hear that. Maybe the only thing we want to hear now is if he feels that there's going to be a definite time within which you declinch a deal, an IMF deal. I think that's the biggest issue right now. Because when his finance minister speaks and says that uh, God willing, we would get a deal by December or by, by in fact, he said before the budget would be read. That was the initial he said. Um, that, that's, all, that's a couple of days, not even weeks. That's a couple of days. Exactly. And, and, and that's, that's not reassuring enough at all. We need to move from the realms of the spiritual to the realms of the reality. Because I think we've, uh, uh, that department, God has forsaken us long ago. And I think we need to hear the president speak. <laughs> no, but when he speaks, I'm just saying, what, 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 what do we expect him to say that we don't know already? What exactly, yeah. what, the, the, the president should speak, the president should speak. What, what, what do we want to hear? That's my point. Nobody <laughs> seems to be able to say exactly what the president is supposed to talk about. Well, you just said that he should give us a definite timeline by which we'll get an IMF deal. I, I know it's not within his realms alone, but at least he has, he, 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 he gets daily updates as to what the negotiations are, how the negotiations are going. And since the IMF deal is the only deal in town right now, we should know exactly what dates we are going to get the deal because that somehow begins to signal to everybody that, well, we are back in business and then, and that we may then be, we become susceptible to some other funding from somewhere else. I don't know. Frankly, we've reached our, our, our wit's end. And if all the things we've said had been done, we probably wouldn't get to this stage. So maybe the president is, in this, is, is alone on this one. Kwame. I, I struggle to see. I belong to the school of thought, which is what exactly is he coming to say? And I come from this school of thought for one reason. <clears throat> we, we all saw the release from the Ministry of um, Finance this morning. Yes. And the level of ambiguity in the statement they put out. It is clear that even the Ministry of Finance is not sure when this is all going to end. And like Franklin said, the president is briefed on a daily basis. So if the people who are actually in the firing line of this negotiation, unless, of course, they are putting out statements on sure telling us, but telling the president definitively that, oh, we think this is going to end here. But then, you see, um, when you work in civil society, you read between the lines as well. So then when you see the statement that was put out by the IMF on their own website. Yes. And then you see further ambiguity there, that they are also not sure when this is all going mm. to end. And you read between <clears throat> the lines and you see that they are basically telling us, show us that you can't restructure your debts so that we give you money, because we are not going to put our money in sinkership. I mean, that is what they've written, but in a sort of a roundabout way. If you are the president and you put these two statements together from the Minister of Finance, from the IMF, and then the World Bank compounds and say, actually, this wasn't what you should have come for. You should have come for this one, suspension earlier, but you didn't do it. And then you're like, what exactly are you going to tell us? Unless, of course, it's reassurance 
And sometimes when you are in a crisis, yes, reassurance is a good thing that, oh, I'm with you, I understand the plight that you find yourself in. And though we do not know when the end would be in sight, we are working tenaciously to try and get to some form of closure and we'll keep updating you. That, if that is what he's coming to say, that might be helpful. Apart from that, I don't know what he's going to say. And to be honest, in his recent utterances, the president has made it such that would people even be willing to listen because of what he said in Kumasi on two occasions? I don't know if you've been seeing the footage of people hooting at him. And I, I am one who believes that, yes, we might be angry, but that might not be the route to go down, the, the hooting and all that, even though yes, I can understand that people are venting this place. So if you are the president and knowing that you go to Ashanti, which is your stronghold, and you're being hooted at, you go to your home region, Eastern, and you're being hooted at, would you want to take the national stage and think that you would get any different reaction, especially when you went to a program in Accra and got hooted at as well? So all these make me think, what is he coming to say, and how is it even going to go down? And then finally, you look at the response globally of investors in Ghana and the way they are um, going out. And even if you look on Bloomberg and other things, the way the city is falling, even against the pound that is struggling because of the mess from a trust, it's making an advancement against the city. That doesn't make sense. I can understand it if the dollar is making it, but the pound should not be going at the speed it's going because it is struggling globally as a currency. So you look at all that and you're like, well, what's this man coming to tell me anyway? And that's why I'm not too sure what, much as I would rather he spoke, I'm not too sure what he's coming to say. But ha has, has there ever been a situation where the citizenry respond to that kind of verbal assurance from leadership? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I mean, if you look at even the pound, the minute, um, irrespective of the fact that I disagreed with that decision by Lestras, Chris Quartin was kicked out and um, Hunt came in and Hunt gave his first few public utterances and all that, you clearly realize that the slide of the pound, which had dropped to one um, seven to the dollar, 1.07 to the dollar, started coming up again. And then when Lestras res resigned, it has stabilized. It's about 113 at the moment. So markets respond. What we are seeing in Ghana is not just down to it. Is, and that's why when the president says that, oh, my ministers are performing excellently, excellently, but the market is telling you we are marking them as failures because the market is flying. So sometimes these are the utterances I'm talking about that if he tones down perhaps it's more reassuring, the market might react differently. Because honestly, there's nothing that has changed between when Chris Kwati was there and when Jeremy Hunt was there, apart from the fact that he's been reassuring, he's re reversed some of the things that the markets didn't want, and he said that they are going to be more fiscally prudent. With that, things are stabilized. We can do the same in Ghana. But I doubt if we can do the same with the same people in the driving seat, like the finance minister and all that, because the markets also respond to the personnel. And that is something that I think the president is ignoring, and that might come to hurt us. Well, the, the, some people like, I've heard people like Franklin say this, so I'm going to use that against him in this particular context. Who says <laughs> the markets do not respond to anything in Ghana? 
So it does not respond to the president. It does not respond to the... Franklin, you are laughing. You said it. <laughs> it does not respond to the qualifier. minister. With a qualifier, what I said was that there are uh, many people in government whose uh, actions or inactions possibly would not even impact on the economy. It will not nothing would happen if some people did not go to work. Uh, people obviously <laughs> there are many government that 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 if they didn't show up at work, nothing essentially would happen to the economy. That's what I said. But of course not to make a comment like sacking your finance minister. If you did sack especially in this scenario, if you did sack, maybe there'll be some little movement in the market, right? Uh, even though our situation is that bad. But sure. if you make a major statement like, don't forget, was, was it the Nigerian minister who said something like debt restructuring? And he had to, the market immediately responded and he had to uh, correct his, his statement and say that he didn't mean that. In this volatile situation, any comment you make, including your minister performing rather ex extensively, will come back to bite him. But the market is also responding in that regard. But my point essentially was that there are people in the economy who are dead wood. That if you drop them, nothing significantly will change in the economy. John, uh, your, your your thoughts on 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 this whole. President's coming. I've, I've read comments like, for somebody saying, things could happen if the president comes out and makes a definitive statement to encourage people not to even go and buy dollars. Perhaps that could stave off some of the, the slide that we are seeing. And that is why we need the president to come and speak, to come and make some kind of appeal to people in the market and say, look, you need to help us at this moment. Don't do this right now. Trust us and don't change your money to dollars. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as a student of public administration, one of the first things you also learn is that public administration is both a science and an art, right? The science part of public administration is the strong policy signals you send to market players, to players in your economy, uh, the specific actions you take to deal with any major crisis that you face. That is the science part. But that is that doesn't always do it in terms of during certain crises, you also need the art part of public administration. And that is why for me, I like, you know, I come from that position of saying, yes, it would be good to hear from, um, from the president, right? Because there's also something about the art part, the politics part, of economic management and policy that also can help, you know, either could tempers, manage expectations, manage frustrations. Because as I've been saying, for me, the impression from where I sit, that vacuum that has been created was giving me the impression that it's either they've not heard, they've not seen, or they have heard, they have seen, but cannot necessarily be bothered may not be the case, right? And so in that vacuum, it gets filled with all kinds of narratives. That is why for me, I would support the idea that it would be good for the president uh, to speak directly to the nation, um, to show that, you know, like I said, to show that, look, I understand the times in which we are. I understand the challenges that we are facing. Um, 
you know, we are working on this IMF deal, the 2023 budget, my finance minister and his team, you know, something that gives you some sort of assurance that, oh, okay, you are just not, you know, you've just not tuned out Ghanaians. Um, now, as to whether it would have any, you know, effect, as to whether people would tune in, as to whether people would listen, giving the already, you know, the, the, the place where they are feeling all of these pinches is a different story. But for me, that shouldn't be the reason why the president shouldn't engage the citizens directly. I like the fact that in the beginning, the Ministry of Finance put out those FNA, FAQs, like I said. Um, and I think some of those sort of regular public engagements, I think, are, uh, has a way of dealing with the, you know, the, the, the political frustrations, right? They, because there's a politics to all of this, which is citizens must be able to at least perceive that you are in tune with their pinch points and you're willing to do something about it. That is why, for me, I would say, find a way to speak to the citizens. Mm, all right, and thank you very much <clears throat> uh, for your thoughts. Uh, and it's been an economic morning uh, where we've tried to explain uh, some of the... We've tried to bring better understanding, perhaps, and I hope we've succeeded in that for you, the viewers, and those who are listening to us as well on the economic issues that Ghana is currently going through and uh, the solutions that exist uh, for us, uh, both short-term, medium-term, and long-term. And I did that with Joe Jackson, Director of Operations at Delex Finance, Dr. John Osain Kwapong, fellow at CDD Ghana, Dr. Kwame Saponisied, who is a pharmacist and research fellow at CDD, and Professor Tapipra, who is the Dean of the School of Economics, University of Cape Coast. Thank you very much. Franklin Kujo is President of Imani Africa. So, uh, thank you for your comments as well. That came to like I said. Um, don't forget, you can always catch playback on our YouTube channel, CityTube, C-I-T-U-B-E. Uh, so you just go there and you subscribe. Uh, type in the big issue and uh, you'll find me there. So you can uh, just watch again and enjoy. And do share the links as well. My name is Godfrey Akotobuafo. Have a good weekend.